Alright, hello and welcome back to Real Seekers. Uh, I'm your host, Dale, uh, the Christian, and today I wanted to uh, get back in touch with one of my old uh, co-hosts, Matthew Taylor, who requested that we do a, sort of a, a, another show, a follow-up show on the issue of miracles. Um, so I actually have uh, Matthew Taylor as a guest. Uh, welcome back to the show, Matthew. Hi, Dale. Thanks. Good to be in, here and talk to you again. Excellent. And he actually brought along a, another friend, uh, a fellow Christian who has a, his own podcast, uh, Robert White. Uh, welcome to the show there, Robert. Uh, thanks, Dale, for having me on. Absolutely. Perfect. Um, so, yeah, I think just before we get into addressing what the, the actual topic is, um, maybe let's just go around and sort of introduce ourselves to the audience. Um, so, Robert, since you're sort of the, the new guy uh, for the audience, uh, why don't you introduce us as to, to who you are, a bit about your background, and, you know, some of your faith journey. Sure, yeah. Uh, so I am recording right now in Brooklyn, New York, where I've lived for about uh, five years. I'm from Atlanta area, and I grew up a Christian. Um, I, I've always been a Christian, always took it very seriously, always had parents that uh, I was lucky to have parents that it was not just religion um, or legalism or anything like that. So it, it was a personal relationship. So it was very important to me. But some of my beliefs I held were ultimately quite wooden. And I mean, some would call them fundamentalist uh, by today's standards. And so that's what I started with. Um, and But I've always been very philosophical. And I'm a software engineer now uh, by trade. And so I've always wanted to take things apart and figure out how they work. And if something didn't add up, it would bother me until it did add up. And so that led me to deeper and deeper doubt based on questions I had and that some I would look into and um, it made me question even more. Some I avoided looking, at, looking into because I didn't want to deal with it at that time necessarily. Uh, plus, it's just hard when you're in school and trying to live your life, and also doubting, you know, the existence yeah. of God or whatever. Um, so eventually, I had to dig deep, and um, I I ended up really fully deconstructing my faith. I would say, like, you question one thing, you question more, and it, the slippery slope sort of did happen to me to where I was questioning the most fundamental things. But then over the many years, I put it back together and I felt like there was a foundation ultimately. And um, I talk about this a little bit on my blog. I haven't covered it as much on my podcast, but just to go ahead and give a quick shout out to my blog, it's robertlwhite.net. And my podcast and stuff is linked there as well. And so basically I built it back up and, but I'm still just interested in philosophy in general and epistemology specifically in fact my podcast is almost exclusively about epistemology so far and so a big part of what i care about is clarity is knowing what the data is is uh, those sort of things without um and bracketing bracketing off kind of clear thinking and epistemology from um and what the evidence is versus okay is there a god or not both are very important but um those two things can get kind of confused. So now I, you know, I am a Christian now. I like to write some things that you could call are apologetics, but I also just like picking apart ideas 
and picking apart life. And so that's not always uh, faith-related. And sometimes it's attacking some elements of what some would say is like traditional Christianity, or at least questioning it. So that is kind of where I'm at now. And uh, yeah, that's what I like to do. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, nice, nice to have you on the show for sure. It's uh, I know I, I checked out um, some of Robert's shows, so I definitely recommend to those in the audience check check out some of the shows that he's got. He's got some excellent thoughts out there, and and not even ones that I where we agree with each other. So I, I think that he's got an interesting perspective. Yeah, I want to find out more. I'm going to respond to your blog comment uh, because I want to hear uh, a little bit more of your thoughts. But but one thing I do like to do is bring in ideas that yeah. I feel like I are not talked about very much yeah. in the, the atheism versus theism. Like, for instance, there's this great book called uh, The Black Swan by Nassim Taleb, mm-hmm. and it's a really fascinating book on economics and epistemology, and it relates very much to politics, to theism versus atheism, but it's not the sort of book you hear as much. And I also, since I'm a software engineer, I like bringing in ideas about artificial intelligence and stuff like that as well. Awesome. Perfect. All right. So, so let's go to our, our other guest to get sort of a sense of who, who you are, Matt. Um, believe it or not, I, I do have listeners that didn't follow me from SNS. So there may be people that you're, you're brand new to as well. So yeah, give us maybe a, a bit of your background, any plugs that you want to mention and kind of your faith journey as to where you are now. Um, yes. Yeah, so I was brought up in a missionary environment in, in Zambia. So I was a Christian from uh, a very young age. I think my conversion experience was probably about five or six years old. So for me growing up, uh, Christianity was was everything. And it wasn't until uh, uh, my teens that I first encountered uh, people who just didn't see any sense in in believing. And I'd always been uh, taught this this poison that uh, atheists were horrible, evil people who would uh, want to uh, want want to hurt me in every way. So there was a, a bit of an enlightenment experience there, but that didn't really inform my my atheism until till much later. Now, I think one of the downsides of the environment in which I was brought up was I was brought up as a very strict literalist. So I was a, a young Earth creationist right into my my uh, early adult years, and it, it was eventually. In my in my thirties, uh, somewhat when I began to appreciate and realise uh, that uh, evolution actually was true, and so my science education took a huge uptick in, in those later years. So that started uh, the stage of me uh, questioning and uh, and leaving my my Christianity. So that was what about fifteen years ago now. So so that process took some time. Took about three years, I I say, to go from from my first real strong doubts about uh, is this faith that I believe in uh, something that's tenable to eventually saying no I, I can't uh, be believe this anymore so that was quite a that was three years of turmoil turmoil it was a it was a tough lonely time because I didn't really share my experience with uh, anyone going on um, after that experience I, I blogged about my story so um, key moments from um, my life as a Christian and my my doubting my my faith are available on the, the blog Confessions of a Yek dot uh, WordPress dot com, and um, it was around about that time uh, that I got into podcasts 
or rather listening to podcasts and I eventually discovered the unbelievable podcast and started listening to that and it, it still remains the the only uh, exclusively religious podcast that I, I I listen to constantly although um podcasts of uh, of people that I podcast with are, are excluded from that statement um so and I was listening to the the unbelievable podcast because I enjoyed the the interaction you know people like myself who have abandoned Christianity uh, do seem to like to have that conversation to uh, to talk with others because we didn't have people like most let me rephrase that when I was questioning and doubting I didn't have people like myself on the outside uh, talking about the experience of talking to me about the experience of doubt so I went through my doubt experience on my own um, and it wasn't until the end that that experience ended that I so I became more more open about it and started seeing what other people uh, were experiencing and realized that there's a huge number of people like myself so part of the reason why I do what I do is uh, to be um, attractive to those who went through what I went through and uh, as part of the, the podcast that I do there's already been contact from people who are going through that and it's it can be a, a scary and lonely time if you've got nobody to talk to when you're going through through those doubts and um, so anyway so to back to so I discovered the unbelievable podcast and the and the forums there and Justin announced his book and then people who were uh, like-minded like myself said we're going to do a response to this book so that's when I jumped on board with that and got in touch with David and Andrew uh, who um, do their own blogging and podcasting rather and, and so I developed a friendship uh, with them and the other people in the team who were involved with uh, the response book which we called Still Unbelievable so that's we're going back two years now um, and so off the back of that book then the podcasts came which is why we've got the podcast Still Unbelievable which I do with Andrew on a semi-regular basis and uh, I've really enjoyed that that the, it's exposed me to interesting people to have on the podcast scientists philosophers and, and everybody in between people who are unknown and people who are quite well known uh, so I've enjoyed that experience genuinely enjoyed that experience it's uh, it's given me the um, uh, the, the brave the, oh, oh you're getting the music I'm, okay that's it's tight <laughs> off the stage uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, what's someone was ringing my mobile phone at half past seven in the evening okay, okay. right <laughs> but, um, so but anyway so that's and that ends up where where I am now uh, so I've uh, turned my back entirely on on my Christian faith I tried to um, rescue from a, a literalist young earth creationist faith into an evolution accepting more more liberal faith and uh, I went through various uh, mental processes to try to work out uh, a way I could uh, construct a Christianity uh, that I I could accept and uh, part of that that process came the realization well if I'm creating the Christianity that I find acceptable then I can't guarantee by any means that the faith that I'm uh, subscribing to is is true or accurate because I'm just creating what I find comfortable believing um, and if that's all I'm doing creating what I find comfortable believing and I can't know that any of that is true then I may as well give up that process altogether so that's what I eventually did and so I'm now quite a um, quite a hard-nosed um, evidentialist strong materialist uh, atheist
Excellent. Okay. Well, well, not excellent that you're an atheist, but uh, yeah, no, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and Matthew, you're a programmer as well. I am. I am also a software engineer, yes. Perfect. Um, so, so yeah, I'll, I'll just give a, a brief sort of take on my history for, for Robert's sake, so you, so you know where I am. So, so I grew up as a Christian myself, um, really up until my 20s, uh, after I graduated university. Um, and I, I took business management uh, in school. So, yeah, it wasn't really until my early 20s that I started having real serious doubts about my faith. And um, I, I realized that you needed to take these doubts seriously and, and look at both sides fairly at that time uh, in order to have a, a warranted belief um, and, and know that what I was believing was actually true. So. I sort of recognize that you need to assess uh, the positive evidences. So, you know, like I knew about things like the evidence for the resurrection and that, that sort of thing on a basic level at that time. Um, but I never really seriously considered the negative evidences and factored that in. And I think you need to look at both ends. So it was at that point that I decided to walk away and said, I, I haven't really given this a fair shot. I, I don't really believe this. I, I need to grapple with the evidence the positive and negative evidences. So I set out on a, on a task of, of, of doing that over the next eight to 10 years or so. Um, I was I was lucky enough to to work with some major Christian apologists. So I'm, I'm friends with Gary Habermas or, or Mike Lacona and, and that sort of thing. We've had them uh, on, on the SNS show. And um, yeah, the, you know, Gary Habermas or Tony Costa, the, these guys really sort of helped me discuss these issues and think about them and, and I would take their answers and their feedback and that sort of thing to some of my doubts and questions and I sort of contextualize that in, into my own way of assessing the various religions to see which one is true or not and yeah at the end of that as of May early May 2018 um, I came out as believing that Christianity is probably true and the other religions are probably false and so it was at that time that I decided to, look, I, God's given me sufficient evidence to believe this is true. I'm going to place my faith in it and commit to to being a follower of, of Jesus. And yeah, it was, uh, I made the announcement on the Unbelievable boards. Like Matt, I'm a, a huge fan of the show Unbelievable. Uh, it's it's one of the the few. I as well. He's the gold standard. I feel like. Oh yeah, just my goodness. He's uh, he does it. He does a great job. He, he's an inspiration. He's sort of the what spawned um, all of uh, my uh, podcasts, all of Matthew's podcasts, and same with skeptics and seekers. So I, I got together with David Johnson, who's um, another skeptic that that Matt knows. And yeah, you know, for about a year and a half, we did the the SNS show where we each week we would get together on a given topic. We would write. A blog and a response blog um you know one from the skeptic view one from the christian or seeker view and then we would uh, debate that out uh for that week on the podcast and yeah uh, just recently i i've spun off to doing my my own solo show called the the real seekers podcast where i i tackle um topics on a on a deep level i'm trying to to write up a book so i'm, I'm gonna post up for free like the chapters and stuff like that so yeah, that, that's me in a nutshell. Can I give one quick anecdote re related to all this? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, I think you guys will uh, will find this funny since we've all been through that 
stage of doubting and questioning and existential crisis. Um, I I went to a Christian um, summer conference growing up in high school, and in and this shows how I was uh, currently struggling with things. In the um, we had like a daily devotional we would do, and we you know read a Bible passage, and then it has questions. And um, I'm like 15 at this point, something like that, uh, maybe 16. And and one of the questions is like, what are you struggling with right now? And I was looking through my old copies of this, and I wrote down cosmic microwave background radiation. (laughs) 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 Because at that time, I was struggling with, did the Big Bang happen? And P.S., a friend had brought that up as really good evidence for the Big Bang, and it was shaking my whole world because I was, you know, a young Earth creationist. So it was just really funny, and knowing that whoever wrote that devotional was picturing, you know, uh, my girlfriend, you know, or whatever, and I, you know, cosmic microwave background radiation. So I thought you guys would appreciate that's just, that. That's the sort of kid I was. Yeah, well, that's uh, well, that's good. That makes you sound a lot smarter than me, because my my issue first of all, I was a young Earth creationist as well. Uh, so it's funny that all three of us were were that. But yeah, the really the triggering issue for me was uh, prophecy, like the the Tyre prophecy in Ezekiel twenty six, um, for whatever reason. So. Um, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. But yeah, I think it's good that we've all been through the doubts. We can understand where the, the skeptic's coming from. And yeah, we got to take both sides seriously there. So yeah, let's, let's without further ado, let's get straight into the, the issue for today on miracles. And uh, what have we done? So I split it up into four major sections for discussion. Um, so the first one, this is important to Matt. So he wants me to discuss my notion of uh, default, the prior probability. So I sort of split that up into, you know, my my default prior probability or the blank slate type thing, which I'll discuss in a minute. Um, and then there's the post prior probability. So, you know, what is the prior probability when you factor in various background evidences and that sort of thing? Um, then we're going to get into a discussion of identifying miracles. How, how do we go about um, identifying a miracle or, or assess, assessing and evaluating certain miracle claims on a theoretical level. Uh, and then finally we come to Robert's favorite part, uh, the last part where we, okay, enough with the theory, let's get straight into to the facts, you know, are, are there any miracles or provable cases that we should be looking at and that sort of thing. So, so yeah, that's, that's sort of the plan for today. Um, and yeah, we'll, we'll start right into the, the first major section. So the, the notion of prior probability, um, so, so I'm sort of weird and I have this notion of start trying your best to start with what I call the default prior probability or the blank slate and, and recognizing that, look, when you're approaching a debate um, on an issue that where people have contradicting views, as, as much as is possible, I think it's best to start as an agno- a pure agnostic. You know, you, you have no evidence or or notion one way or the other as to which side is right and then you bring in only then you bring in well here are my positive reasons to think uh you know this this proposition is true the other side they they bear a burden of proof in bringing in evidence to say i think this proposition is probably false um so so this is the issue that uh matthew takes issue with is that uh, well, I'll, I'll let him explain why he takes issue with that. But I, I think for conversational reasons, it's it's very helpful to understand. Look, you start you start as a blank slate, and you're saying, okay, someone's claiming miracles are possible or plausible or something like that. 
okay, what are your reasons for making that claim? You bear the burden of proof on that end. Likewise, if an atheist says, no, it, miracles are implausible or they're, they're probably not possible or something like that, then that's a claim on their part and they bear the burden of proof. And me as blank slate guy, I can look at both sides and evaluate the, the evidence for and against and then come to my decision. So um, yeah, Matt, I'll, I'll turn it to you. What, why, is, why is this an issue in your estimation? Um, excuse me. Yeah, the reason why I like it is I don't like it, and I I have issue with it. Is um, first of all, I appreciate what it is that you're trying to do with that. So I'm not trying to uh, argue against that. I think um, I've got multiple problems. One of them is the the blank slate uh, scenario practically can't exist because nobody arrives at at uh, a claim. Uh, with having no knowledge or even no biases so the the, the blank slate scenario to, to all practical purposes uh, simply can't exist that doesn't mean we shouldn't try to to eliminate uh, uh, incorrect knowledge or or biases I mean that's part of the scientific process after all to uh, eliminate <coughs> anything that's bias or or invalid and stay with only what is true. So I've got something in my throat, one second. Okay, I think that's better. Okay. So um, so I, I certainly appreciate what is trying to be achieved. I, I'm just not convinced that the, the blank slate is the way to, to go about it. Okay. Um, and the other bit I don't, I, I have an issue with is, is the assignment of burden of proof. Mm. It, I, I take a, a very different approach. If, if something comes uh, because what I feel about the blank slates uh, idea and uh, the way you've uh, framed it uh, when we've spoken about it past is uh, the the blank slate seems to and you you have to correct me if I've misunderstood your intentions here uh, the blank slate sounds to me like it's focusing on the claim and then trying to work backwards and unpick from the claim what I would um, the way I would um, uh, r rather approach it is the claim regardless of what the claim is at this moment in time is, is less important than uh, the evidence that we've got to review so let's forget the claims and take a look at the evidence uh, assess the evidence that we've got available to us bring it all and then from the evidence let's try and work out what is the most likely true thing that explains or the evidence and it'll be at that point they you then start coming up with a claim and rather than talk about who has the burden of proof of the claim you test the claims against the evidence and see which one comes out with the best explanation so that's kind of the the issues that i have uh, with with the blank slate and then de deciding who's got a burden of proof if that makes any sense yeah yeah okay gotcha um cool so i'll turn it over to robert to give sort of his introductory take. So I know, I know that'll be sort of new to you, but yeah, before we open it up to an informal discussion, what, what's sort of your initial take on what I said about this default prior probability? Sure. Uh, well, considering that on the SNS podcast, I think this took up roughly 90 minutes of the discussion, <laughs> if not, not 120 minutes. Um, I often try to sort of avoid some of the burden of proof stuff because both sides know how how sticky it gets. Um, now that said, it is sort of unavoidable um, at times, at least as well. 
one analogy, it's not really even an analogy fully, I like to use is, and this is partly because I tend to be a bit of a pragmatic epistemologist, I would say, is I like picturing you waking up from a coma with amnesia about essentially everything except the English language and the rules of logic, since that's basically built into your brain. You can't really think without the rules of logic. That is sort of, to me, a helpful way of like, okay, what is, what is a blank slate? And it's like, okay, well, let's say, just let's try to reset things. You, you wake up in the hospital, you really don't know anything. Um, you just see things happening like a two-year-old does, except you, you know, you do have a fully developed brain, and then you go from there. And if I were a skeptic, I might very quickly move on to a naturalistic bias. And I mean, when I say bias, I don't mean that in a pejorative way. A naturalistic uh, uh, default or something. Predisposition. Um, but, but there's still a step to move to that. <laughs> so that is, to me, another way uh, that I think is helpful of thinking of a blank slate, because it is how we experience life individually, which is through our own brains and waking up each day and experiencing data out in the world. So. Um, Actually, what Matthew described, I think, marries well with the way you described uh, a blank slate, Dale. Um, Matthew, to me, it sounded like he was just adding on, look at the data first, and then move to the claim, which I love. In fact, that the big part of what I'm going to be talking about today is don't let the claim that you want to make uh, cook the books. So mm -hmm. yeah. kind of take a survey of the data and then make a claim. And then I think to marry that with Dale, Dale, you're saying is um, that claim should be based on, besides the data we're looking at, based on a blank slate. So you got the data, your blank slate, and then arguments to move on forward from there. So yeah. I feel like at this point, I can agree with both you guys um, that as much as possible, we should start with a blank slate. Mm -hmm. And start with data as well so uh yeah I, I think your two ideas can go well together as as you've stated them so far perfect yeah yeah i think um so so just opening it up to uh, a little bit of, of informal dialogue and, and addressing matt's two issues um yeah i think i think you guys said it well so so in the first place let me fully acknowledge on a practical level it, it, it's it's impossible to truly be a blank slate there's always going to be um, presuppositions that are, are built in and when you're having a dialogue so things like the laws of logic all three of us kind of ex I already know in advance all three of us accept that so it's kind of a given so okay I, I don't need to argue that the laws of logic are true or something like that or you know the correspondence theory of truth so I'm, I'm assuming all three of us would accept that so I, I don't need to to get into that but th there are people out there that might not grant it so there there are one of my listeners travis r who's very intelligent um and has very thoughtful comments to, to offer he would deny the correspondence theory of truth uh he believes in the coherence theory of truth so you know if you're starting as a blank slate you, you would realize okay there's a, a controversial thing i need to take it back a step and try to address the the issue of the theory of truth or the issue that the laws of logic are true but in a conversation for, for practicality purposes, I think between the three of us, we, we accept some of these presuppositions. So it's it's true. It's better to say start as a blank slate as, as much as is possible or as practical for the for the sake of argument. It's more just to, to get that attitude of realizing, OK, who's 
what does this evidence assert uh, to prove and does it prove it or not and that sort of thing. So the, the other thing, um, so, so in terms of the burden of proof issue for, for you here, Matt, um, okay, so you, you would agree with me and, um, that whoever makes a claim or submits evidence in, in support of a claim bears a burden of proof, like that, that basic statement is correct, right? Yeah, we're, we're okay there. Yeah, and and Robert, you're cool with that as well. Yes, gotcha. Okay, so so maybe try try thinking of, of it this way. I gave various examples. So when it comes to the possibility of um, miracles or the equal possibility of miracles, let let's start with this. Everyone gets on the question of does God act, actually exist, factually exist or not. Um, I think you would both agree that the the default state is true. We, we don't have a slanting of starting out before looking at any evidence that, no, it's 60% probable that God exists or 60% probable that God doesn't exist. No, we, we are as much as possible blank slate and then we're presented with reasons one way or the other to think that God actually exists or actually doesn't exist. Is that is that fair enough for you guys? I'm not I, sure. Uh, Could you rephrase it? It's okay. oh sure. Um, so so yeah. So on the proposition that God exists, we would we would start uh, in the position of I don't know. It's it's zero percent proven until if you're going to tell me God does exist, then present to me reasons and I'll assess those in favor of that proposition. On the same side, if the atheist comes to me and says no, actually God doesn't exist then I would say to the atheist, okay, great, present to me your reasons why you think God doesn't exist, and I'll decide based on that. Does that make sense, sir? Okay, yeah, I'm good with that. Okay. So um, I'm going to uh, do an odd thing and dispute this a little bit okay. as a Christian. <laughs> Very well. That... Because I, um, so I actually talked about this, I believe, I have a series of posts on the God delusion, and I go into this on one of my posts uh, a little bit more in detail. But I really struggled with this question because it kind of hurts our brain when we get down to the most basic thing of of what exists because you could then say, is it 50-50 odds that the flying spaghetti monster exists? And I'm sympathetic with a skeptic who says that seems ridiculous. And the reason why it seems ridiculous is because it's completely ad hoc. Um, you're just creating a monster and then saying well from a blank slate is it 50 50 percent chance now technically that's the only if you know absolutely zero about the known universe you have to start with 50 50 yeah. because you know absolutely nothing but but that's really honestly it's not even worth putting a probability then because it's so ad hoc that we i think our intuition tells us it's less than 50 50 like if it's 50-50 and, um, you know, a rock monster is the creator, it's also 50-50. How can all these monsters be 50-50? <laughs> you know, it starts to feel um, uh, ad hoc and it goes against our intuition. So I think the way I ended up um, going forward with this in my blog, I think, is that, that you almost can't assign probabilities when you have absolutely zero information like a probability yeah. is just a almost a random number at that point mm -hmm. you have to you and this is where maybe i'm more with uh, what matthew said earlier 
um, you start with data because we all do start with data. Like we're humans and we've been alive by the time we start questioning these things. And then you look at kind of the live options for explanation and then you compare explanations. So, but that doesn't totally go against what you're saying, Dale, yeah. with, with God, because I think, um, I think all three of us know some of the things that are put forward of why God would be an explanation and why, let's say, materialistic processes could be a full explanation for things. So I think we can kind of bootstrap to the level you're talking about, Dale, where it's like, okay, we know why people have posited God as an explanation and why people have posited uh, materialistic, naturalistic processes purely as explanation. So let's start 50-50 there and then argue. And I think that is fair. I don't know if Matthew would agree with that, but I think that that's fair. I I can accept that, certainly at at this point anyway, and I'm glad you brought up the... Uh, flying spaghetti one so I was going to go my favorite is the invisible pink unicorn but yeah uh, I either works and the the issue I have with the assigning of burden of proof is I think it it distracts from from the point of having the conversation and uh, this is something I've experienced a few times on the uh, unbelievable Facebook group where I've I've been involved in all sorts of conversations over the last few years Uh, and the, the burden of proof thing gets gets thrown out uh, as a trap and uh, this is why I object to to um, the throwing to the use of the burden of proof and I'll use um, the uh, flying spaghetti monster as uh, as Rob brought that up if I say I've got um, the flying spaghetti monster trapped in uh, my spare room next door and uh, and you guys say okay well you've made a claim you have a burden of proof uh, and so I give you all my reasons uh, and then you, you guys say well actually no we don't believe you you're you're lying to us and I go haha now you guys have got a burden of proof and if you fail to meet that burden to my satisfaction I can then go de facto you've failed to meet your burden of proof to show that I don't have the flying spaghetti monster in my bedroom therefore I have the flying spaghetti monster in my bedroom and I think that's a deceptive flip and that and that's how it feels and I I see that quite a lot and that genuinely doesn't help achieve any kind of uh, mutual respect or agreement in any conversation so that's why I like to resist uh, assignment of burden of proof in conversations like this let me let me ask if this I think this can help sidestep the difficulties of burden of proof and the whole idea of burden of proof in a sense is is if you frame it like this there is a lot of data out in the world there is existence there is uh morals or the perception of morals there is uh consciousness whatever there there's a lot of data we have that data what is the best explanation and i don't think anyone can say that any individual gets to avoid that question like each individual has to argue what is the best explanation for that data and if you say there is no explanation then you're just kind of that I guess that's utter agnosticism or I mean a very weak position like you're just you're claiming to have no worldview at all so what is the best explanation for the data and um, everyone just it seems obvious everyone uh, has that burden to uh, to answer that question and then you can start with a fresh table uh, and put on put ideas on that table yeah yeah Yeah, that can work better yeah all right, cool. Yeah, yeah, I think 
I, I think um, we're pretty much on the same page. It, it's it's not a f fundamental difference. Like, uh, obviously, practically speaking, I'm on your guys' side with things like this flying spaghetti monster and that sort of thing. But yeah, it, it's just, I, I guess, my approach here with this whole default thing, it, it's to point out that both sides, if they make claims, bear bear this burden of proof. And that that's not a tactic. This, this is important to, to get, right? Because if, if you make a claim, God doesn't exist, or the flying spaghetti monster doesn't exist because, and then, and then Robert points out, well, here's the reason, it's ad hoc. And that makes ad hoc hypotheses are improbable. So, so that would be what I call a post probability thing. You, you've given me a reason to think it's improbable, but the, the whole point of the default thing is, well, well, maybe this assumed thing, assumed reason even if it's correct, your interlocutor doesn't necessarily have that. So, you know, sometimes we just assume the reasons and then we end up talking past each other. So if, if we don't assume those, then you'll realize, okay, um, he doesn't believe that the flying spaghetti monster is ad hoc. So then you can, okay, we got to discuss that and prove that. So, so that's, that's the whole reason I use this as sort of a a tactic to make us slow down and realize, you know, maybe you've got a reason of nat naturalism. You think naturalism is true. Well, me and Robert are not going to share that starting assumption. So if you're going to claim naturalism is true, therefore miracles are probably impossible or, or implausible or something like that, then you need to establish that because that is a claim on your end. And if you fail to meet that claim, that doesn't prove the, op oh, well then that proves miracles are possible or are plausible or, or actually happen or something like that. But it just means, okay, we're back to that starting thing and now it's on you, Mr. Theist, to present some positive warrant or reason to think this is true. So yeah, that that's really what this whole thing is about. And yeah, it sounds like you guys are on board with me in principle, it's just, this isn't the way it goes in practicality, right? We, we have these assumptions where we just start with certain facts and that sort of thing. Would that be fair? Yeah, um, sounds great to me. Yeah, Matt? Um, yeah, I think though, if if I'm having a dialogue with someone and we're, we're getting into the nitty gritty and we're completely disagreeing on, on what the conclusion of the evidence that we see is, I think battling over who has a burden of proof for what doesn't help that that conversation move on, and I think that's my issue. Mm. Uh, it, it it creates an embattlement rather than a a, a mutual uh, attempt at finding uh, what what's true. So I would rather instead of someone say to me, "You've got burden of proof now, meet it," I would rather they actually came up to me and said, "Right, okay, well let's examine." the data that you feel is, is important and trying to understand why you're coming to the conclusion that you're going to. I'd rather somebody in that situation makes an effort to to understand my position because that will also motivate me to want to understand theirs rather than standing it with battle lines drawn opposed to each other uh, declaring that the other one hasn't met their burden. So that, that's one of my other issues uh, with it, is it creates embattlement, and I don't want embattlement. You know, I want a mutual meeting of minds with, a, with an attempt to try to find what the data really does say. Because it might turn out that, that both people are wrong, 
and it's yeah, only by getting yeah. together and working through the data that they get to to the right answer. Okay, so so it sounds that yeah, I guess I would just say it could, and perhaps it often does lead to this feeling of embattlement or superiority. Like, hey, you made a claim, prove it. Aha, you can't even prove it, but. I do think it's possible to do what you're saying and keep in mind this burden of proof. I, I see it as sort of a helpful heuristic and it, it's going to be helpful when we get to our next next section, right? So I, I'm going to be laying that off on, okay, let's first start with you. Um, what are some of your reasons that you claim prove uh, that miracles are implausible? And you can pre you know present your three to four, we can discuss them and assess them as friends working together and trying to discover the truth and realizing yeah yeah you you've you're making the claim so you've got to do the work here to convince us and then vice versa the on the same side when i present my case or when robert presents his case well here are two or three reasons why we think miracles are plausible and again we we can assess it and that sort of thing with even bearing in mind this burden of proof and that that serves as a a helpful heuristic or a helpful way to understand um, okay I'm the one making the claim am I doing enough to establish my claim um, and vice versa when they're making the claim are they establishing to me uh, so I actually see it as, as helpful um, yeah that that's if you see it in that light uh, could you see it as useful then Matt or um. Potentially, uh, in that context, it, gotcha. it's just that you know my past experience of having bad experiences on on forums, as I mentioned earlier, is kind of puts me off that kind of language. I, gotcha. That's that's gotcha. part of my issue. Perfect. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I understand what it is that you're trying to say, and I I, I accept that. And, uh, cool. uh, and we'll um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, we'll endorse that. Awesome. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. I think I think that's it for the for the first section. We've we pretty much covered it. Um, I know this is this was something that was important for you, Matt. Is there anything else about the default prior probability issue that you'd like us to discuss, or do you think we? Uh, no, I'm 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 good with that. I'm fine to move on. Thanks, Dale. No worries. The, the funny thing about your SNS uh, podcast is, it, to me, it seemed clear, Dale, that you thought this was going to be like an introductory thing that everyone was going to move on quickly from. And yeah, it yeah. Going it, on forever. <laughs> <laughs> This this is uh, which, which one are you talking about? Is this the one with all four of us in it? The... Yeah, that was yeah. the four of us one. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay, <laughs> the, the bad one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. You guys still had useful discussion. Don't don't be too hard on yourselves. You you still got to some good points. Awesome. Okay, cool. We, we, we just came away a little bit dirty. That was all. <laughs> yeah, it it happens. We're all friends at the end of the day. So all right, cool. So so yeah, I want to move on to the next major section. So so let's. This default stuff. Let, let's actually get into some of this background evidence. Let, let's look at the, what I call the post-prior probability, and what are some of the reasons to think that miracles are probably possible, equally possible, or probably not equally possible, or improbable, or whatever. And in this section, I, I want to start with Matthew making um, so having the, the the fun burden of proof, not the embattlement burden of proof. Um, <laughs> But before I get there, there, there was an issue that I know puts you off, and, and, and I'm not going to go into too much detail. I just want to sort of ask and get your take on it. So in, in the first place, one of the reasons that some skeptics have provided to think that miracles are probably impossible 
um, or implausible, whatever you want to say, is, is due to the issue of scientism. And I know that you take extreme issue to, to the use of that, that word. Um, so first of all, for the people that didn't hear the SNS show, why is that, Matt? Why, why do you take such extreme issue to this word? Um, because when it's thrown about, it, it's often used uh, as, a, as a blanket insult, uh, mm-hmm. possibly, uh, to just outright dismiss what it is that the other person's saying and to give an excuse not to uh, pay any attention to any other detail that they're saying. And again, this is some, uh, something that I have experienced when trying to have an online conversation. And uh, I give a reason to say, oh, well, that's just scientism. Puff. And that's it. And absolutely no attention has been made to, uh, to want to positively interact with what it is that I'm trying to say and, and get to um, and, and have a, a dialogue o- over what it is that my position is. So it's basically partly the same uh, issue that I have with the, the assignment of burden of proof is it, it is used uh, almost as a weapon. Yeah. And that's uh, that's the issue that I have with it. It also depends on what definition, because it turns out there seems to be several definitions of, of scientism. It depends uh, largely on, on what, and often when it's thrown out uh, in, in the way that I'm saying it, it it's meaning to say that well, you, there's, there, it's like they're saying to me, well, you've got this uh, firm belief that uh, only science can answer any question ever so you're clearly being being irrational and that's not a, a position that uh, i will accept that i hold so again in that context the throwing it, it at me and dismissing what i say under the banner of scientism both robs the two of us of having a meaningful conversation and uh, attaches a label to me that i i don't accept so that's the issue that i have with that being thrown about i mean there are other lighter versions of scientism which i'm quite quite happy to accept but i don't really want to go into a, a, a draw that conversation on the different meanings of, of, of scientism but so but that's the issue that i have with the word gotcha okay and and yeah don't worry this is just sort of a, a side thing so i wanted to to get your take on this so okay but um just as a quick question then you would be fine with considering yourself an advocate of a weaker version of, of scientism in, in terms of maybe how I defined it in, in the blog post that we did on the show. Um, w- would you be fine if there is no associated ad hom- you know, that's not being used as an ad hominem, but a, a helpful label that describes, hey, look, the weak scientism, it's the view that says there may be some minimal truths that can have positive epistemic status uh, without the support of science, but science is still the most valuable, serious, and authoritative sector of human reasoning and learning. Um, if I just list out, this is this is what this word, sorry, this is what this word means. Um, if you believe it, you can take it, and then we can have a discussion about. Well, here are some things about it. Like, would that be offensive to you if it's presented? Um, that way? No, it's not offensive. Those aren't the exact words that I would use, but it's close enough. I would probably say something along the lines of uh, scientism holds that that at this moment science is the the best uh, tool that we currently have for gathering uh, knowledge or of how something works. So it's something like like that kind of uh, meaning is is a meaning of scientism that I would quite happily accept. But I'm not sure that it's helpful to a 
that's that's scientism because then you're probably labeling all the scientists in the world as being adherents of scientism so it effectively becomes so broad that it's uh, effectively meaningless but that is that's the, the weak meaning that i would accept that you're describing perfect okay uh so so yeah that that's it i just wanted to get your sort of take on that much so without further ado um matt i'll, I'll turn it to you to make your sort of opening case about the post prior probability pretend you've got the burden of proof now and and you're uh the friendly burden of proof the friendly burden of proof um yeah what are some reasons to think that miracles are probably impossible in your view i'm not sure if i'll go as far as to say probably impossible because there there are dependents uh, on that um so in order for me to accept that a a okay first of all um let me define what I mean by miracle in this context. Okay. Um, a miracle is is an act that, um, and we'll forget why, but an, an act that can't have happened naturally. It requires some extra natural or, or supernatural, whatever word you want to use, um, agent to act unnaturally in order for something to happen because it couldn't happen naturally at all. Um, so that's how that's how I'm defining um, miracle at, at at this point. So for me to say that uh, I don't accept miracles as, as being probable is I am at this point unconvinced that there is such an agent that could do such a thing, and without an agent to be able to do such a thing, the thing that it would do can't be done. You see what I'm saying? So miracle can't exist, can't happen because. I'm not in a position where I can accept that an agent who is able to do a miracle exists. So that is basically the, the nutshell which I would use for saying that the miracles are, are implausible and I struggle to accept that they've happened. Okay. Okay. Uh, so and that so those are your that's your main reason. Just that one, or do you have other other ones like three to four? Um, well, it all hinges around around that statement really. Without me accepting that there's an agent that could do one. And I can't accept that what happened. So it's gotcha. kind of pointless me going into any other uh, explanation because it all hinges back to there's nobody who could do one, so it's not going to happen anyway. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so I think um, Robert, would you would you prefer to make like your opening case, presenting some reasons for it, or would you like to address Matt's reason to think that miracles are probably implausible or, or improbable first? Um, I'll let you decide how this flows. What I want to do at some point is kind of give an opening overview of maybe a case for miracles and go into some of those uh, uh, actual case studies. Yeah. Um, so maybe it's best to say that for now, and if you wanted to respond gotcha. to that on a philosophical level, but uh, it's up to you. Gotcha. Okay. So, so, so yeah, I'll, I'll we'll skip over Robert for here because he he wants to discuss section four on the actual examples. So, in terms of your reason, so I would say first of all, okay, well, can you since you do have this burden uh, burden of proof and you're claiming there are no agents responsible to to do these supernatural actions, um, presumably there are no agents to do these natural actions either. Could could there be any non-agents uh, that could cause supernatural actions, just like there are non-agents that you think cause natural events to occur. I 
don't really understand the question, I'm afraid, Dale. So, okay, so so your reason for thinking that miracles are probably impossible is because there there's no intelligent agent that can cause such events to happen, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. So, so what if there is a supernatural, unintelligent thing that causes these events to occur? You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm, I'm like, struggling to imagine how that might happen. I mean, if... Um, you're asking me to talk around a hypothetical, which I've... I've never even considered uh, something exists that's what unintelligent so something supernatural but not an intelligent supernatural thing that does something that's in the world that's not natural I'm, I'm struggling to imagine how how such a thing could could happen um, so could you try and be a bit a bit more specific and try and clarify it with a with a with a specific hypothetical um sure well well hindus believe that the law of karma is a, is a non intelligent agent uh, on a supernatural transcendent level that engages in cause and effect relations in the world um and has impacts in, in the world so yeah that something like that perhaps okay so um okay i, th I think i'm getting now so I I cheat somebody at business for whatever, and then you know, karma gets me a couple of years later in a stock market crash or or or, or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, again, I would I would need to be convinced that um, that that process existed to create that that link um, for giving me justice on my bad act previously, uh, and. I'm, I'm unconvinced that that such a such a thing uh, exists. So I, I, I still can't accept that that, that happens. And okay. I, I'm still at the same base problem that I'm un, I, I'm unconvinced that that causal agent even exists. But, you know, if you were to convince me that such a causal agent of, of karma exists, then I, I might think differently. But yeah, you know, I, I don't know how that would happen. Okay, so, so the other thing I just wanted to ask about in terms of your argument, so this is where I think the burden of proof, the friendly burden of proof does come handy because you've mentioned, look, you personally are unconvinced that uh, a supernatural thing or a supernatural agent of any kind, fairies, god, leprechaun, leprechauns or whatever, don't exist. But, but that's just talking about your own state of epistemic justification for for all you know there's no you're not convinced by anything you've seen but have, have you taken any means to have to make a warranted claim in this department like can you assert there is no agent in fact uh, or there probably is no agent in fact or is it just nothing you've seen convinces you so you're you're in this default state still um you have no reason to think that there is but you have no reason to think that there's not such a supernatural agent. Um, well, I see no evidence that convinces me that there is, and I'm currently unconvinced that there is. So I, I live my life as if there isn't, and my life works very well um, living as, as though there isn't. So whether or not I say that, categor that categorically isn't, or whether I say 
I'm just unconvinced, but it, it might be true. It makes no practical difference to the way my life works. So uh, I I don't really care either way, to to be honest, uh, Dale. If someone wants to say that I'm de facto making the positive state that no such thing uh, exists, that's not what I'm saying, but it makes no difference to the way my, my life runs because I just live my life as as though there is no such being. Okay. Let me let me try a sure. crack at this. Um, I want to see. I want to state how I would look at it. And Matthew, I want I want to see if you agree. So, if I thought there was no evidence for what I'm calling miracles, which obviously I do think there is, but let's say I thought there's no evidence, then I would say the reason why I don't believe in them is because of essentially Occam's razor. That for something for for me to believe in something it needs to have explanatory power. Um, otherwise, it, we're back to the flying spaghetti monster. It's just purely ad hoc. And so uh, without, if I didn't think miracles were happening, then postulating the I- idea of a miracle becomes almost like the flying spaghetti monster based on if I believe, of course, if there's a God or not. So that then you're into arguments about if there's a god or not but if you're trying to bracket that out and just talking about these supernatural interventions then um if there's no events that i'm trying to explain then it's purely ad hoc and therefore i think occam's razor does away with it um matthew does that track at all with yeah, how you would look that, at that that tracks i'm quite quite happy to ride with that gotcha okay uh yeah yeah i think Okay, so that's good. I think you, we presented your case, your your reason. Um, yeah, I, I guess my final point is just because it practically works doesn't mean it's true because my belief in God, could, I could say the same thing about my belief in, in a supernatural agent, God, or something like that. So, yeah, if, if we're concerned about what is or isn't the case, then we would have to do more than, or, or you would have to at least establish hey, if, if there was such an, a supernatural agent out there, then my life, I would expect that my life wouldn't work as well uh, if that were the case or something. And that proves there's probably no agent. So, yeah, that, that would be sort of my final thoughts on that. Um, yeah, just to, in the final part of this section then, I'll, I'll give sort of my positive reasons. Why, why do I think miracles probably are possible or plausible? Um, and so I think Robert hit the nail on the head that the first major one is, look, if, if we can prove God exists, and I, I believe that we can on a balance of probabilities, then, yeah, right there, God God exists entails that supernatural events are plausible. Uh, it doesn't mean necessarily that he's actually done supernatural events in history, but they, they are plausible or probably possible if we can prove God exists. Um, I think all three of us w- would agree on that. You know, if we could establish that, that would be a good positive reason to, to argue that miracles are probably possible. Is that is that right, guys? Yep. Okay. Um, what about... So, other... so now we just got to convince uh, Matthew to become a Christian, and we're good to go. <laughs> yeah, well, hey, Matt, um, like I said, I hope I can convince you when I bring you back to do the cosmological argument um, when I'm finished that right up. Maybe we'll we'll have Matt making an announcement. He's a theist right then and there. <laughs> I'll I'll pray. Place your bets now. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So so here's uh my second of third th- three reasons. So also independent of, of proving God exists, um, 
maybe if we could prove something like the soul exists, something that's non-physical, um, that might shake things up and, and get you open to, hey, there's more to this universe than I than modern science or naturalism gives gives it credit. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in your your take on that. If I could prove something like substance dualism is is true, Matt, would would that maybe make you provide some warrant to think that mer supernatural miracles are plausible in any way, or do you just not see them as connected? And what's your take on that, Matt? Um, I don't think it's there's an obvious uh, road from from that to to theism. Uh, it would um, it would certainly force me to rethink. Uh, my materialism, and it would uh, force me to assess what what I do next. Now, I would definitely go on a quest to to find out what the existence of a soul means and how that comes about and, and how that interacts. And is that limited to only humans, mm. or are are other animals affected uh, by that as well? So, yeah, there'd be a, a lot of questions that I'd want answered uh, resulting from that. And, and it would probably change the focus of a lot of things that I do. Gotcha. And, and just bear in mind, uh, again, from the existence of the soul, I don't need to argue for theism, just for the plausibility of miracles. Unless, are you saying only on theism are, are miracles possible? Well, I'm not or? sure. How, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure how a soul would uh, would show that miracles uh, exist. You, you'd need to show me how, how one links to the other. Uh, but right, I'd certainly yeah. be interested in how that would work. Gotcha. Okay, uh, but but just so I know, you you are open. Let's pretend fairies are supernatural agents, not God, and they're doing supernatural events. Like you, you would be open to other agents other than God doing supernatural things. Yeah, on on the assumption that they were shown to exist. Yes. Gotcha. So okay, cool. So so yeah, that was sort of my case. Is is the soul is a supernatural entity, and it, it stands in cause and effects and, and does supernatural events when it interacts with my body. So that, that's how I would use that argument. Um, and, and the third, and actually, yeah, Robert, did you have anything to say about, about that reason? or? Uh, no, go, go ahead. Gotcha. So here's my last reason, and then we'll move on to the next section. But uh, So the supernatural events are, are conceivable. They are logically possible. Um, events. So we, we have our modal evaluating faculties, which provides us with modal knowledge. And yeah, I, I can conceive of Jesus rising from the dead, for example. Um, it's conceivable, therefore that means by definition it is logically possible. Um, and unless you have, given the, the principle of indifference, unless you can present factual reasons why miracles wouldn't be possible in this world or this universe, uh, in particular, um, then the lot, the mere logical possibility, um, all else being equal, is enough to establish, yeah, miracles are factually possible in this universe as well. Um, yeah, what, what do you make of that, Matt? Um, I don't know. I need to need to process uh, uh, that a bit. Do you want to go first, Robert? Yeah, go ahead. Sure. Um... I think it's certainly important to point out to figure out what is logically possible versus impossible. And so it's a helpful distinction, but I guess to me that doesn't add a ton because probably a lot of the flying spaghetti monster type creatures are logically possible, um, but that doesn't mean they're any less ad hoc. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, perfect. Yeah. 
let's yeah i'd pretty much uh, go with that it kind of it, this isn't intended to be unkind but it, it feels like it's uh, trying to to slip a uh, uh, god in through the back door if you see what i mean by saying oh well it, it's logically possible therefore it's real um i'm i'm, I'm not making a specific accusation uh, Dale, so please forgive me. That's oh, just no kind, kind of how it feels when I when I hear it and when when I process it. Um, so I'll I'll go with Robert where he says you need more than just saying logically uh, uh, possible. Yeah, I, I I want actually possible. You know, because when you say logically possible, I think you're still talking in hypotheticals, and I want to step out of that and, and deal with the actual. Okay. Uh, d- do you want me to respond or just move on to the next? I'm curious, Dale, what you would say to the the response that it's uh, it still remains ad hoc, even if it's uh, logically possible. It's ad hoc to say that that is enough of a reason to to seriously consider it existing. It's it's. I think that you're make, you're asking the wrong question. So that so the proposition here is not whether miracles actually happen. We're not there yet. We're we're asking. Are miracles possible, or, or are they probably possible? So, on that front, logical possibility is good enough uh, it alone. That that establishes, yep, they, they are possible. Um, the the only qualification is, are we asking, are they factually possible? And that could be a difference if the skeptic. I, I thought you had phrased it differently. Where um, I thought you put it if before that if they're logically possible, does it make it like more likely that they exist or something like that? Oh, uh, gotcha. Yeah, no, and I would agree a hundred percent with you. Even if they are factually possible, that that doesn't, you know, that would be I would still be in my default state as to whether they actually occur or something like that. So yeah, we're on the same page there. Okay. Okay, cool. Um, so, so the next section, um, this is the last section of the theory part, and I want to reserve the most part of the time for, for Robert's sake to talk about the actual examples. Um, but this is the section on identifying the miracles of God. And Robert, I, I know that you actually have uh, a unique take um, and an interesting take on, you know, how, how is it that we have, as human beings go about identifying uh, miracles in theory? Um, yeah, what's your case on that? So it's interesting. Um, this my my podcast I did with my friend atheist friend Ryan Price. We talked a good bit about this, and it's a very challenging topic, which is why I would say I've actually moved away from kind of technically trying to identify miracle, and instead just trying to identify, trying to see what events are happening in the world and if these remarkable events are happening around Christianity that that is so that is sort of the case I'll be presenting in in a bit Mm -hmm. so uh, I actually bracket out entirely at least at first if it's even supernatural like it could be entirely natural but they're remarkable and they seem to only happen or nearly only happen around Christian faith for instance so um when it comes to just identifying it in the more philosophical sense it is a very challenging thing um and I think, yeah, the, I think the conversation gets confusing. I, I'd like to hear what both you guys have to think about it. I, I think, so I didn't prepare a ton for this very specific <laughs> idea, but when I was thinking about it earlier today, it would be probably some combination of there needs to be, it needs to seem like there is an agent involved. Because if it doesn't seem like an agent is involved, then it seems like 
a law. And if it's a law, then no matter how strange it is, um, there's no use calling it a miracle because there's no mind behind it. There's no choosing. Um, so I feel like whatever we're trying, whatever we're looking at needs to um, seem like there's some sort of agent involved. Mm -hmm. And then secondly, I would say it has to go far beyond what is currently known to be natural. And I think that is a decent working definition and what you would look for. So uh, that that's sort of what I would put out there. And just before I give my case, so I listened to uh, another one of your, your videos, as you know, from my comment about you had something interesting to say that I think I might disagree with, but your, your use of helpful heuristics, um, did, did you maybe yes. want to, you know, what, what do you mean by heuristics? Uh, how are these helpful? Did you want to go into that maybe a bit? Yeah, yeah, I might touch on this more a little bit later, but okay. just to give, it's something I started recognizing about a lot of these debates, that these debates often get very philosophical, very technical, uh, very definitional, and a lot of that is unavoidable, but the downside of that is you can get very stalled out. You can be two ships passing in the night, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So what I started to think of is like, why do we actually believe this or that? And we, we often put forward very technical arguments, but that is often not precisely why we don't believe it. And um, for someone who, who is interested in this, I would definitely recommend my heuristics podcast because I take a while to fully lay it out. But just to me, there's a mirror image case here that I'd like to, I'll probably touch on a little more later, but a mirror image case of miracles for the Christian trying to prove and biblical difficulties for the skeptic. And, and just as an example, I don't think a skeptic disbelieves the Bible, or let's say a, an ex-Christian. Mm. So they, they were prone to believe it at first, and then they end up rejecting it. I don't think they reject it because of a single difficult passage. Because mm. if it was just one, then that crazy resolution that a Christian apologist puts forward uh, would probably be enough. Because you would say, okay, it's literally that one passage of the Bible. Um, so there's not there's probably not one single biblical contradiction or atrocity in the Old Testament that is bad enough or that can't be resolved, that it alone could do it. Maybe there is. But to me, the real reason people see a humanist in the Bible and why people who especially come from a rigid literalistic interpretation and losing their faith is because of what I would argue is more of a heuristic. And really, to, to avoid using that word, perhaps just a probabilistic, cumulative look at it. So it's that there are multiple very hard passages and then hundreds of at least medium hard passages. And so you're intuitively making this judgment of, okay, if a crazy, sure, a crazy resolution might work for one of these, it's not going to work for all of these. That's the probability starts to become too vanishing. So um, I would say miracles are really the same thing. Um, the, the struggle is it's tough to actually get skeptics to look at the data for miracles. Yeah. And, and this is where the heuristic comes in. You don't have time to do more than just look at one or two cases. But that's exactly like a skeptic trying to convince a Christian of one or two cases in the Bible. The Christian can comfortably mm -hmm. and even perhaps be warranted in saying, well, I bet there's resolutions for those. Mm -hmm. But what the Christian really needs to do is read a Bart Ehrman book or 
uh, or, or just survey the data more fully to really come into contact with the, the wide swath of data, both the, the uh, width of the data and the depth of the more difficult ones, then you can decide if uh, you can overturn it. Um, and so I think miracles is the exact same thing. The, uh, so many of these debates end up being focusing on maybe one miracle case. And uh, of course, a skeptic can find a way that it was natural. In any single case, you can do that. The question is, when you add that in with a wider swath of data, does that become probabilistically accurate? And uh, that's why I turn in terms of a heuristic. And that's how I would say we make most judgments in life, because most of the time we're not doing individual scientific experiments. We're not doing firsthand research. We're doing a lot of these heuristics and then digging in deeper as necessary. Awesome. Yeah. Th yeah. Thank you very much for, for going into that. Because when I, when I heard that, I think that this is the part that I agree with you on. And, and I think that was a very apt comparison between uh, the Bible contradictions for the, for the Christian versus you know, one or two examples of a, giving one or two examples of a skeptic and, and that sort of thing with miracles. So, yeah, th thank you for, for sharing that. That was very interesting. And, and this is when I really empathize with skeptics because I see so many fundamentalists where, like, a skeptic will say, but what about this passage in the Bible? And the, the fundamentalist, you know, will be like, well, you know, there is one example in the Greek where this word means something slightly differently, and if you take this reading and, the, you know, <laughs> it, the skeptic like, is just, like, pulling it, their hair out, like, do you understand? Like, it, it's like sure, you've maybe one of these is like that. <laughs> yeah, it, it's like you've literally listened to my combos be, between me and David, our debates or something. <laughs> uh, and uh, I'm not I'm not trying to disprove the Bible here. Like, I'm a Christian. I, yeah. I, I do think there's a significant humanist there. Uh, and progressive revelation, and most importantly, I just want to actually deal with the full set of data yeah. and take it seriously. Gotcha. Perfect. Okay, so uh, before I turn it to Matt, um, I'll give sort of my take um, because I, I do provide um, a lot of a lot of thought into coming up with a, a warranted uh, way of, of identifying these miracles. So. My sort of angle, and, and I'll fully admit, there are, there are different valid ways to identify miracles, perhaps, and that is a good lesson that I think I, I'm learning from Robert's case. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be one size fits all, but in my case, I, I do think it is valid through the lens of, of identifying miracles through the lens of intelligent design. And specifically the, the theory, I, I won't go into the, the full hour explanation, but um, I, I like William Dembski's notion of specified complexity. I, I think the these criteria of specification, whereby there is a, an, a very improbable event or a small probability event uh, that conforms to an independently given pattern. And when we can establish these two criteria, uh, specificity as well as complexity of a given event, then this warrants the inference of intelligent design and, and thereby an intelligent agency. It, it underlines how we identify purposeful choice for a certain end. And when it comes to the issue of miracles, um, I'm, spe I'm specifically interested in a specific subset of miracles, miracles that are designed for the end of um, authenticating a, a given religion as being true. And that's sort of been my main main focus, uh, as opposed to other miracles, like miracles of compassion or, or miracles done for 
any other reason or purpose or that sort of thing. So the, the way that we can identify miracles relating to specified complexity is, look, there. once you prove the event has actually occurred, there are two fundamental elements. Number one, the event has to be extraordinary. And I've gone into various ways of, of identifying an event as extraordinary. And, and this, this totally bypasses the notion, is it supernatural, natural? I don't care. The, the ancients didn't think that way. It, bottom line is it, it is remarkable. It is, event, it is an event that would serve as a sign or wonder to the reasonable person. And by reasonable person, that's the legal definition, you know, an average person, average intelligence, average uh, due, due diligence, uh, average knowledge base, whatever you want to say, the, the average guy in the street. Um, so the extraordinary is that relates to the complexity angle. It's an extraordinary event. And then the specification comes in with the religious context that that event is attached to, whereby it, it creates this pattern where we would expect a, a god, if he exists, or a supernatural agent to do remarkable or extraordinary events that would authenticate um, the religious message that teaches human beings how to achieve their ultimate purpose in creation. Um, so, so that, in a nutshell, is is how I think, or what I think is a helpful way to try and bypass the supernatural, naturalistic definitions and, and all of this. And look, we have valid criteria to infer intelligent design for certain ends. In the case of my criteria for a G-Belief authenticating event, we have certain criteria to identify remarkable events designed to authenticate a given religious message. Uh, and that's that's enough. I would I submit to identify a miracle. Um, yeah, Matt. Matt, what is your take on both my and Robert's approaches there? Uh, they're fair because okay. uh, I, I think the intention is 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 genuine, and uh, I want to acknowledge that. I think there's a a significant challenge in in identifying um, uh, a miracle. Uh, and uh, I think the, the reasons for, for that are uh, in order to be able to confirm that uh, a miracle has happened and it doesn't have uh, an otherwise natural explanation is it, it almost requires us to have a full and complete understanding of everything that can and will happen naturally and since we don't have that 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 full knowledge, and we probably will never have that that full knowledge. Uh, stepping over the boundary into being able to positively identify something as a miracle, I think under those kinds of uh, criteria is is a challenge. It's just a, a, a fact of life, a practical challenge. And uh, so I I struggled to imagine how uh, how a claim could could step over that. There are obviously certain areas where. Where we could, I think, uh, one example that's often thrown about uh, on the internet is um, a, a human limb being severed and, and then growing back would, would probably, uh, on on demand, uh, would would probably uh, qualify as a as a, a confirmed and repeatable miracle. And I I would probably uh, agree with that as a a specific example. But then we can say, but there are uh, a, a reptiles that can can regrow a tail you know what if there is a human gene uh, that is, is suppressed seeing that, that humans have a copy of that gene but it's currently suppressed and what if in a specific individual that that uh, re-emerges and enables uh, uh, the re regrowing of a limb that, that's just me throwing that as a so 
there are many cases, as Robert suggested, that uh, you know, you, if you think hard enough, you could probably come out with a uh, with a, a natural example for for almost anything. So I think that makes uh, confirming anything as a miracle uh, a, a, a genuine challenge. Certainly, if you're talking about individual cases, uh, Robert suggesting that you take a wider heuristic picture is mm-hmm. is probably uh, the way to go uh, with the data. The question I would then ask are: Is are the bits of data that you've got that you're building into that picture good enough to to make building blocks, or are they just maybes? So I would still want to to validate each each individual piece and say: Is that good enough to qualify, or are there enough question marks that that one is disqualified? Yeah, yeah, Robert, that that's an interesting point. When when I was listening to your video, so um, you you made an inter- Matt makes a good point here as well about. So you've said that you don't want to don't miss the forest for the trees, right? And that's a popular right. saying. It's absolutely right. But what about Matt's case? I mean, there is no forest if there are no trees. Maybe they're all just paper mache trees or something like that. So, yeah, how, how do you how do you how, how would you come back to you know Matt's objection about your your holistic approach? If if there really are no miracles when you look at the details, then is it valid to use the whole picture to say, well, yeah, there, there is, or yeah, what do you make of that? Uh, no, yeah, there's no forest, there's no trees. I, I would say you zoom in and zoom out constantly. I think mm-hmm. this is how we live life um, successfully, is we, we think broadly and then we're challenged and we have to go to the details. I think where people screw up is sometimes they get stuck mm-hmm. in the details at that point. Mm-hmm. They get stuck on one detail and they build everything around that. And I would argue we probably want to make the decision back up at the forest level, but you got to go look at some trees too. Yeah. Uh, just remember that ultimately it is a forest. So um, back to like the biblical difficulties, uh, you're never going to convince anyone if you just say, hey, this guy Bart Ehrman has 100 biblical difficulties. It's like, okay. Um, once you show a few of them and if they seem convincing, then that's where the heuristic comes in of like, okay, what about the other 97? Um, the probabilities are starting to hit me that those also, at least some of them are as convincing. And so same with miracles that you have to have some key ones to get you started. Um, the, the problem is if you look at, once again, if you look, if you stay at the tree level, then you can explain it away by it being a single outlier. Mm-hmm. So to, to avoid the outlier objection, you need to zoom back out. Yeah, 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 perfect. Yeah, I agree 100% with that answer. I think it should be a both and, and approach there. Um, can I also interject? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think actually my definition of miracles collapses into yours and vice versa pretty well because mm-hmm. I, I really like Dinsky's specified complexity it's a really helpful way of figuring out why uh the difference between random specificity Mm. and um design specificity and so like one way of figuring out if something matches a design is if it seems like an agent is involved if there is no agent then it's going to be this general level of arms regrowing every once in a while and we just have to say wow 0.001 percent of the time arms regrow but there's no pattern beyond that and so you're back to i guess uh, uh unspecified complexity hmm. so um yeah so I, I think i think our definitions work pretty
pretty well together with that. Robert, you just won my favorite guest award. So, sorry, Matthew. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I've taken oh, so man, much heat. Oh, the bridesmaid again. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right, Matt. You're a, you're a close runner-up. But uh, <laughs> um, all right. Uh, so, so Matt, um, one thing I, I wanted to say to you. So, I've got got two things to say in this this section before we can go to Robert's uh, favorite one. But um, so, so for you, so yeah, I, I hear what you're saying as well, right? We we actually. If, if we're taking my in, in specified complexity approach, the events actually have to be complex, right? You, there are all these number of possible naturalistic explanations and you need to assess those and, and that sort of thing to see, well, it, is it actually improbable to occur um, and or very improbable to occur on, on a, according to plain natural law or random chance processes? So, so that would be part of the application of these criteria right it would it would fit in that way um yeah do, do you see how sort of the issues that you raise so so robert said that there's an issue of specificity there's also the issue of the complexity but they sort of fit into to my way of assessing these things yeah i'm, I'm still bothered by by the word probability in there because okay. let's say for example you came out with um uh an example of a miracle, it doesn't actually matter what the example is, but you said the probability of this being natural is 1 in 20,000, so it, it can't be natural. You know, on on um, the, um, with, the, with enough numbers of, of events, you know, a 1 in 20,000 event will happen. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I think the, the language of probability in there is, is, is still a, a problem. And you know, very rare natural events do happen regularly. You know, just because of the short, sheer number of, yeah. of 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 things happening and, and combinations uh, occurring. So I think the probability thing is, is a challenge. I need, I would need something more than just this has got a very low probability of being natural. Therefore, it can't be. I I, I really need something that's more concrete than that. M- Matthew, let me ask you this: If um, there have been twenty medically documented cases of limbs growing back and all 20 were in the context of prayer and immediately happened is that the sort of shift you're looking for because there there you're getting the specified complexity it's in the I, I am that that would genuinely uh, cause me uh, challenges and I'd, I'd want to know what's going on there absolutely in fact it probably wouldn't even take 20 <laughs> um, but yeah that sort of example would would absolutely have me wanting to know more. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, yeah. So so Robert, uh, like I said, I want to leave the majority of time for our, our next section, but I do have one last question for you in this in this part. Um, and this is the part I, I'm I'm not sure I do agree with you on uh, based on your video. So in your video, you said so. You know, you said you're you're um, sympathetic to my notion of specified complexity and using that to, as a lens through which identifying um, identifying miracles of God and that sort of thing. And I wrote up my 20 pages. I, I went into a lot of detail explaining the details of, of what it means for something to be complex or and something to be specified and that sort of thing. Some of the skeptics uh, came back to me and instead of addressing really um, the substance of... of what specified complexity is and how it works and objecting on that front they just kind of came back with 
Yeah, but the majority of bio biologists think William Dembski is a laughingstock, um, and and intelligent design is is a joke. Uh, evolution is where it's at. So, th this was sort of the main objection I got to my my entire twenty one pages of writing there. And I remember in your your video, you kind of said, "Doesn't that feel great?" Yeah, yeah, it's one. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, you put in all this effort. <laughs> yeah, exactly, but. But you and your video seem to agree with them. You were saying, well, no, appeal to authority is a help, could be a helpful heuristic. So, um, yeah, but what, was it wrong for them to, to come back with this objection to my thing? Or was that a good enough reason to, to throw out what I've done? Yeah, like, what, what do you make of using things like that as a, as a helpful heuristic in relation to having a warranted opinion or something? So, I think with basically all these heuristics if you have um I, i'm also a big fan of the concept of a defeater mm -hmm. i hear that a lot with like william lynn craig yeah. and philosophers like that uh and it's very useful when paired with heuristics because a lot of times we start with a heuristic and then we have kind of a defeater for that heuristic and we have to broaden our understanding of the world so gotcha. i think that's helpful for like the argument from um authority that mm -hmm. Authority can be a very strong heuristic, like a consensus of um, scholars and the scholars themselves are very diverse. That That's a great starting heuristic. Something can overturn that, but I think um, a lot of the debates today, uh, you can't even use that appeal to authority at all. It's, it's, not, it's ruled out of court, but I still think it's a helpful starting point, and mm -hmm. I think at least to some degree, the burden of the proof, the burden of proof, is on the person to say why all the authorities are wrong. Like that's a big statement. So, um, with the Dembski example, my first impression was, so I don't, I don't know that much about Dembski and why he's rejected by biologists or whatever. But my first thought is, I seriously doubt the reason why biologists are rejecting him have anything to do with his defin mathematical definition mm. of complexity. Like, I think it has to do with where he takes that with intelligent design. Now, if it were true that, well, another thing is why uh, another uh, rebut to the appeal to authority here is you have biologists critiquing a mathematical view. Um, so if a if the consensus of diverse uh, diverse in viewpoint, mathematicians rejected Dembski's ideas on complexity, then that is a pretty strong heuristic. Now, I think you should still dig in, mm. but that's a much stronger heuristic than biologists um, who I don't think are even rejecting him for his mathematical views. Awesome. Perfect. Yeah. And, and under that note, I, I think we actually agree. So we've, we've lost our disagreement then. So when, yes. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I, oh man, and my tactic was to have you two fighting so I could win the <laughs> Hey, I've been on your side a decent amount this uh, so far, Matthew, I think. So uh, it hasn't been all two versus one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Perfect. All right. Uh, so so here it is, um, the, the favorite part of the debate. Let's get into specifics now. Actual examples. Are, are there any actual miracles that um, can be identified in that sort of thing? And for, for the most part, I'll, I'll sort of become more of a moderator. I'll, I'll maybe throw in my two cents if, if you guys want it or, or something like that every now and then. But I want to give Robert as much time to speak on this as possible. We've got about 40 minutes left till 4.30, which is the two-hour mark. Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll let you and, and uh, Matt go at it. Um, starting, starting with you, Robert, are, 
are there any actual examples that you think are, are worthy of discussing as miracles that happened? I believe there are. Um, and I'm going to couch this within a kind of a, a wider argument to a degree. So I'm going to save the specifics towards the end, but I'm going to make this, I'm trying to make this whole segment short gotcha. as well. So I'm just trying to encapsulate it in the, the wider idea. So I think it helps just for people to understand where I'm coming from. But one interesting way to compare, I think the way I tend to look at approach this in the way you, and I would say most apologists probably approach this Dale is I would say your approach is more top down, more starting with fundamentals of God, uh, lots of possibilities. And what I have basically converted to, at least for now is fully bottom up, like start with the data and what we see and then move on to explanations. So um, obviously neither of those positions are exclusive, but I think that is a difference you'll see here. So one, one of the things that I want to do in my life is for everyone to have a clearer view of the world. So that involves a clearer view of the data, regardless of how we explain that data. And I think what a great example is, is that uh, here's an appeal to authority for you. Um, from what I understand, the scholarly almost um, universally consensus, universal consensus is that the disciples had experiences that they thought were the risen Christ, had visions that they thought were the risen Christ after he died. So what's really helpful is to bracket that out and say, okay, this is the historical consensus. And then skeptical historians, of course, think it's a hallucination or not. But we lose something really important when in that discussion, all of a sudden people come away thinking the disciples didn't even have those experiences. Um, I'm using this as an example because uh, it, that doesn't happen too much in this in the 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 topic of Jesus's resurrection. Like for instance, Bart Ehrman readily accepts the disciples had these experiences. I think most skeptics I know um, also think that. Uh, so that's great. So. The, the important thing is we're having a clear picture of what happened in the world. And what the scholarly historical consensus is, is that the disciples had these experiences. Great. So we can all put that in our pockets as part of the data we have. Then we can get on to debating what that was. My problem is, I think with miracles, this is an utter total mess. I think the philosophical considerations of the explanation has muddied the consideration of the evidence so much that I would argue most skeptics have a completely um, uh, a severely lacking view of what is out there. Uh, and I would say Christians aren't even very aware for the most part. Um, I like this quote. Um, there's a great podcast called The Hinge Podcast. Mm. This gets confusing because now The Hinge Dating App also has a podcast. <laughs> it is not The Dating App. I'm just really podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's fun off from Unbelievable, which we're all a fan of. Um, and it was a Christian host, an atheist host, and uh, Corey Markham, the atheist, mm. as the uh, intro to the Miracles uh, episode they did. He said, this was the biggest challenge to my atheism so far. These stories fly in the face of dismissive of the dismissive attitude that most atheists have. And that is my modest goal, is, is to get more people to get to that stage. Because then we can debate what to do with that. Maybe the reasons for God 
not existing or so strong that we still just bracket out those crazy miracle stories. But I want skeptics to know more about the crazy miracle stories. So that that is that is stage one. Is like what is the evidence? What 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 is the data out there? Then we can argue from there. So um, so what I, I would say the the prima facie evidence is that there is this remarkable phenomena happening, and it clusters around Christian faith, and it's happening at a uh, a number and a magnitude that is remarkable. And I'll go into detail on that. So that that is my claim, and then you can go on and just and figure out what exactly that means, even if can't prove it's supernatural i still think that's prima facie facie evidence for christianity uh because i mean it's literally what jesus said what jesus did and what he said would happen you know people the blind receiving sight so even if the blind receive sight around christians and somehow it's natural i mean it's still like what the heck is happening there that seems like prima facie evidence for christianity so that that's kind of where i get to and before I get, uh, I'm going to go into the data in just a second. The last thing I'll say is I think a helpful comparison is like UFO stories. So I, I don't know that much about UFO research, um, so I'm actually tentative to dismiss it. But in general, I don't believe those stories. And But I, I do, and this goes back to your blank slate thing, uh, Dale, is I do have a reason for dismissing them, and it's that that we all know there is a background noise of random kooky stories out there. And we also know they can't all be true because a lot of them are contradictory. Um, a lot of them have proven to be false. So there, we know this is, a, we would all agree, there's this background noise out there of hoaxes, of kookiness or whatever. And from what I know of UFO stories, they don't rise above that. There, there isn't. They don't. They don't have a consistency, a number, a magnitude, a medical uh, evidenced uh, amount to them that makes me overcome that. So, what I would argue is miracles have exactly that. They have uh, plenty to uh, to uh, recommend them. And my main challenge to the skeptic is, what is their alternative explanation for this evidence? So. Um, now let me just give a, a brief survey, and I'm going to give some at the forest level and some at the tree level. So one of the very first things, uh, I, I can't recommend enough this book by Craig Keener. I know, Dale, you're familiar with it. It's called Miracles. It is the the book on miracles, probably written ever. <laughs> like, I don't think anything compares to it, really. Um, one complaint, actually, I have of it is it doesn't go into a ton of detail in most cases, his his goal is to survey more than anything. So, I'm really supplementing this with some more detail from other places. But one striking thing is he shows from survey data that at minimum, hundreds of millions of people alive today claim to be an eyewitness or a recipient of a miraculous healing. That is a huge number of people, and I think without a doubt that would blow David Hume away. Uh, when he was making his miracle claim, because that immediately makes you um, slow down from making a generalization that nobody believes in miracles and, and nobody has seen a miracle. Because right here, you have hundreds of millions of people they claim to have. So that, that gives you some background. That's some of the forest. 
um, then uh, going into some of the trees, I think some of the most striking cases and that people want to dig in on, these are the ones I would recommend. Uh, first is Barbara Snyder. Uh, she was uh, cured of multiple sclerosis. And uh, there's a great video. If you go to my blog, the, the one where I talked to Ryan Price, um, you can see links to this. And um, I'll send some links and stuff over to you, Dale, if you want to include any in the like show notes for this. Absolutely. But basically, there's a great Lee Strobel video where he interviews her. And um, I also have Lee Strobel's book. And um, I let me just read a few things from that, some snippets. But basically, uh, one of her physicians, Dr. Harold Adolph, a board-certified surgeon who performed 25,000 operations in his career declared, Barbara was one of the most hopelessly ill patients I ever saw. She was legally blind, uh, had a feeding tube, a breathing tube, and had been unable, unable to walk for seven years and was currently in hospice care with six months or less to live. Um, at this point, uh, a radio show, I think Moody Bible Institute, a friend put her case on the radio show and had all these people praying for her and she heard an audible voice according to her that said daughter get up and walk um there were family members present there i don't know if they heard the voice but they definitely saw her hop out of bed able to walk and which is not normally possible even if you're fully healthy and you haven't walked in seven years she was able to walk she was she could see she didn't need the, uh, I don't think she needed the breathing tube anymore. I'm not sure she mentioned that part, but she, uh, her, her muscles had um, become deformed. Like her, her fingers were mm. back towards her wrist uh, because of the MS. That was fully healed. She went to the church service that night where they had been praying for her along with the radio show. And um, she went back to her doctor um, and doctor, uh, she had multiple doctors working on her. And this is Dr. Thomas Marshall says, um, I have never witnessed anything like this before or since and consider it a rare privilege to observe the hand of God performing a true miracle. Um, Lee Strobel was interviewing her 35 years later and she was still fully healed. Um, I have seen the newspaper clipping of this. Two of her doctors have written about her in books. I have bought one of the books and read the section on it and it, collab it corroborated what Lee Strobel said. So this is a very well-documented case. I think she had like something like 20 years of MS documentation. And so uh, th th this is one of the most striking ones, and I think it's well worth watching the video where Lee Strobel interviews her. And uh, not to get ahead of myself, but I would ask, what I'd like to challenge skeptics is, give me an example of this happening where there wasn't an intense religious component to it. Like, give me an example of where someone spontaneously came back from MS, um, but there was no voice of God and no, you know, radio praying for her. Um, just to give a few more uh, before I hand it back to you guys, um, on that same Hinge podcast, they interviewed Bruce Van Nata. He um, had a truly gruesome accident while as a mechanic working under a car. I won't go into all the details, but they interview him. And basically... He was prayed over, and his within a week or two, that's when he went back to the doctor, His he had lost a huge chunk of his intestines. His small intestine grew back something like 8 or 10 inches. And I like this as an example because it's basically a body part growing back because um, 
the small intestine supposedly cannot grow back at all. It can get like thicker, but it can't grow in length. That just doesn't happen. And here is a case of it happening. Um, and so he, he claims to have all the medical data. He has a website. Um, you can listen to the interview. Uh, a third one that I really like is uh, Dwayne Miller. Um, this is a quote from Lee Strobel's book. It says, over three years, he was examined by 63 physicians. His case was even scrutinized by a Swiss symposium of the world's leading throat specialists. The diagnosis, the flu virus destroyed the nerves of his vocal cords, rendering them limp. When Miller asked about his prognosis for recovery, a doctor told him zero. Um, the crazy thing about this particular miracle is there is an audio recording of it happening. It was during him teaching a Sunday school class, and this is in the least trouble video on my website. And you can hear his voice go from severely damaged to almost fully healed within 30 seconds or a minute, and they're all reacting to it. It's unbelievably uh, incredible. Um, and so uh, here, here's a quote on the follow-up with Lee Struggle. Subsequent doctor examinations showed his throat looks like it never had any problems. In fact, against all odds, even the scar tissue has disappeared, said one physician. Even if I could explain how you got your voice back by coincidence, which I can't, I can never explain what happened to the scar tissue. Um, so those are three striking examples. I'm going to zoom back out real quick to talk about peer-reviewed studies. Um, one and, and, that is always thrown around. And just so you know, try, try, to, yeah. try to give two minutes because I want to give Matt a fair time as well to give his opening case. So in the next two minutes, if you can. Okay, okay, cool. Is that cool? Basically... Um, there is, uh, I linked to this in my blog, there is uh, a study in Southern Medical Journal where um, they went to a healing service and, um, and used audio and visual equipment to measure eyesight and deafness. And here's a quote from the results. Whereas improvements after hypnosis have averaged two to two and a half times increase in the most optimistic studies and none in others, the average visual acuity improvement measured for those receiving prayer through the earlier mentioned ministry in Mozambique was over tenfold. So that I like that piece. It's comparing it to the placebo effect or mm -hmm. hypnosis and showing it goes way beyond that. And the, the final thing is uh, a lot of skeptics bring up uh, the STEP study, which uh, supposedly disproved prayer. Uh, first of all, there's problems with the, the sample uh, group they used. Uh, but the main thing I want to bring up is there's been multiple gold standard double-blind studies that have shown significant improvement. I have those quotes here, and I might pass those on to Dale, yep. uh, but for sake of time, I'm going to move on from that. But my point is, um, just on the heuristic level, let me go back to this. This is a quote from Keener. Um, In the modern period, I have come across claims of perhaps 400 healings of blindness through prayer, the majority of them from sources that I trust, some of them from eyewitnesses I personally interviewed or know personally. And these can be regarded as merely a representative sample. Certainly a vastly number, a larger number of blind persons are not healed, but the healing of blindness nevertheless remains significant. Some of these healings have included medical documentation of organic problems, including, as noted earlier, scarring of the eye tissue, which disappeared during the healing. So, uh, oh, and in some cases of healings from blindness, the eyewitness reporters have observed eyes white from cataracts immediately change as the cataracts have disappeared. So my, my goal with all this is to zoom in, zoom out, um, and say there's a lot of data here. Yeah. And I'm not saying it proves the case, but I think it needs to be dealt with. I don't think it can be dismissed. 
And I think the only way you could dismiss this is is say, oh, well, here is equal data for Islam, and here's equal data for uh, for people with no religion. But I don't see anything like that. I've searched for Muslim miracles. I've searched for uh, similar sort of things happening outside of these contexts, and I, you can find a little bit, but that that's my, my challenge to skeptics is what is – where are the alternative examples? Um, and so, yeah, I will leave it there. Perfect. Yeah, that, that was excellent. Yeah, and uh, for sure, send send the links. I'll be happy to post up all of them for people to check out. Um, believe it or not, we, we actually, on SNS, we interviewed the uh, Christian co-host at that time, Drew Sokol from The Hinge. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, if people want to check. He also lives here in New York, I believe, and is one of the pastors at Redeemer. So I, I would love to get coffee with him sometime. Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. Uh, all right. So, so Matt, I'm going to turn it to you to give your sort of opening speech. Um, if you can aim for about 10 minutes, if you have that much to say, 10 minutes or less, and then you can get into a more sort of like an informal uh, discussion between the two of you getting into some of these examples or, or specific. Yeah. Like, what do you make, Matt, on actual examples? Are there any that you've seen, you know, yeah, give, give you sort of your case? Um. Right, yeah, it's it's always difficult talking about specific examples for some of the reasons that I'm, I mentioned earlier. We don't know uh, absolutely everything there is to know, so it is therefore it is expected that things will happen that we can't explain. And growing up in the environment that uh, I grew up, it wasn't unusual to hear stories of someone having a, a medical emergency, going to hospital, and then coming back and someone saying, well, what did the doctor say? And the doctor shrugged his shoulders and said, oh, I don't know, it was a miracle. And I heard these kind of stories quite a few times uh, growing up. And um, it always seems to be that miracle was used as a placeholder for, uh, I don't know, I, I don't understand. And I think quite often that is what is actually happening. I'm not, not saying all the time, but it certainly feels with with what I what I see and what what experience uh, and, and access that I've had is is quite a lot of the time uh, it's used uh, in that kind of context. Uh, you know, we don't we don't know. Um, as as part of my my life as a a Christian, uh, I spent time as a. a on a prayer for healing team in the church that, that I was going, I was uh, on it for about three or four years uh, um, uh, before I decided uh, to come off it again. And you know, we prayed for for all sorts of things during that time, and the the team met for for regular meetings. And there was somebody on the team who was um, supposed to have a gift of prophecy and prophesied various things uh, about healings, but. In all the time I was part of that, and uh, in all the time that I, I prayed for people, I never saw one physical uh, healing at all. You know, elderly people would come for, for minor things, he hearing failing, eyesight failing, the kind of thing you expect uh, uh, to happen with associated with old age, and nothing ever came of, of any of that. But by far, by far the vast majority of of prayers that I, I did for people were, were emotional support prayers. That seemed to be, uh, by, a, by a long margin, uh, what happened there. And um, also at this church, there was also a, a separate uh, couple who, who advertised what they called 
a healing ministry and they did a did a monthly evening service um very charismatic and they would do the um the charismatic laying of hands of people for, for prayer and it was pretty much the same pattern now i didn't attend every single uh, meeting uh, but i did uh, uh, attend quite a few of them and again it was mainly emotional support i never witnessed a a single uh, physical healing or or something that uh, i would have then called uh, a miracle so i'm not calling miracle by by my standard my skeptical standards now i'm saying something that as a christian then that i would have accepted as miracle i don't uh, think i saw saw anything there um for those who are listening and who have found uh, the, my podcast episode uh, on um, the, the Graceful Atheist where, he, where I talk about my past life, I make reference there to um, an experience I had of um, uh, 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 I had a um, oh, crumbs of words gone, gone from me now um, I had a demonic experience uh, at, at one of the meetings at one of those things there, so if you want to call that a miracle, okay uh, call that a miracle, so but I did have a very personal experience in the Holy Spirit, but I'm, I'm not going to classify that under, um, under miracle for the purposes of this conversation. So um, that's kind of uh, my, my takeaway from things like that. And um, in another Skeptics and Seekers episode, not the one you were on, Dale, um, the one we did later on with Teddy, I talk about yeah. um, a, a family member who, who had an experience which has been, uh, which when... Um, at her funeral was described falsely uh, I say uh, as a miracle it's a story that's been part of my family because it's actually my mother that had this experience uh, and it was never described as a miracle ever what what happened to her uh, and then over the 30 years of her life following that uh, the story merged through multiple retellings uh, from people and when it came to her her funeral the minister stood up and uh, described what happened to her as a miracle and I was sitting there uh, shaking my head saying no one ever up until this moment uh, on this day has ever used miracle to describe uh, what happened here and uh, now someone's doing this and at a funeral of all places and um, that was a, a difficult thing to experience but the the, the point I'm, I'm making there is again we're talking a, a retrospective uh, application of, of miracle to, to something that happened that, that wasn't. So this is when I when I look out and when I the things that I've examined. This is the, the kind of thing that I I see quite a lot. So I'm when I look at a case that uh, is described as a miracle. And I I've only. Robert's mentioned a, a couple here and I don't know a huge amount about all of those cases but I know a little bit about some of them uh, I, I kind of see the same kind of pattern of uh, something has happened, something great has happened to someone, I, I don't want to take that away uh, but there, there seems to be that, that the uh, overly keen jumping to a miracle is, is the feeling that I get from it but I will acknowledge that I don't know everything about uh, about any of those cases, I only know a little bit so it could well be that I've got I'm suffering from not enough knowledge, but that seems to be how I'm, I'm feeling about some of the cases that I've looked into. Gotcha. Perfect. Yeah. And, and uh, just so you know, Matt, I, I will also link to the to the Graceful Atheist episode as well as the, the SNS uh, episode that you mentioned with, with you, with I think four of you guys, where you discuss miracles. So 
All right, cool. Um, yeah, so we've got about 15 minutes left, assuming you guys got to go at 4.30 on the dot. Um, so, yeah, I'll... Yeah, time is ticking away from me. It doesn't have to be on the dot, but yeah, time is ticking away. Gotcha. Okay, so, so maybe for about 10 minutes or less, let's just have kind of an interaction, informal interaction between you two. And uh, yeah, what, what do you guys make of each other's opening cases? What, what do you guys want to discuss or probe each other on? Um, yeah, since, since Matt just ended, Robert, I'll turn it to you to sort of kick, kick off the discussion uh, with Matt. Sure. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so I, I think my main point is that I would agree with Matt that we should bracket these remarkable things into, put it in a bucket of, wow, that's weird, I don't know, if they seemed to not cluster around a certain religious faith. So that is why I want to keep pushing the challenge to skeptics of like, there, I'm presenting a, at least citations of a lot of data um, from the Christian side. And I have even sought out it from like Islam with turning up basically nothing. Um, so it's the specified complexity. To me, the specified complexity is what makes this look like a miracle because you have the remarkable point, and if it was just remarkable, um, but spread evenly um, around the world where doctors knew of a few random cases of people coming back from MS on, the de on their deathbed, um, fine. But that's not what we see. It, it seems like it's clustering around Christian faith. And, uh, and to me, it gets to a point when you survey the, survey the data that if you if you said if I didn't know any better, it almost looks like the Christian God is doing stuff here. Um, now you can still move on from there and say, but I have better reasons to disbelieve God, and so I'm going to disbelieve this. That's fine. I'll give you that for the sake of this argument. But to me, I would love to get to a point with some of my arguments with skeptics where you at least get to the point where it's like, if I didn't know any better wow, this is happening, these remarkable things around the Christian faith. If I didn't know any better, this this would be uh, what Christians call a miracle. Go, go ahead, Matt. Yeah, if this is an informal dialogue, so you guys um, feel free to speak to each other. Yeah, certainly on, on that l last bit, um, I'm, I'm okay with saying uh, something like, yeah, if, if I didn't know better about this particular incident, yeah, I would agree that Christians would call that a miracle. I think uh, the question I want to ask is, uh, is it really... Um, and an interesting point on um, you know, Christianity just seems to have all the numbers on its side versus other religions. And uh, I'll accept that with one proviso. Christianity certainly has the claims of miracles in terms of numbers uh, uh, on its side. I, I, I won't even attempt to argue that because I, I agree with, with Robert on that. And uh, Christianity specifically has so many more miraculous claims uh, in its pockets than... than any other religion, probably all the other religions put together if you bother to try to count them all. Um, I, I take no issue with that. The, the question I want to ask is, are they uh, all miracles? And I'm going to pick on the Catholic Church uh, specifically uh, for this example is um, Catholicism is motivated to have miracles because of the way it, it promotes uh, some of its former followers. Uh, as saints, so there is inbuilt into into the structure there um, a a desire to to have have miracles, probably more so than, than any other sector in any other religion. And so you have people 
who who will create stories uh, whether intentionally or otherwise or, or will want to read miracles and assign them to to certain saints and there's one specific case of a of a late lady in india who claimed to have had a, a miracle of healing that was assigned to, uh, I, I believe to to Mother Teresa, but you know the, the specific individual who it is, is isn't the important part of of this. And the doctor who treated her actually came out public and said, "This is not a miracle. This is a medical uh, uh, phenomena, and this is the description of, of how it happened." And uh, his his case and his testimony was ignored, and this lady's testimony was accepted uh, uh, by the Catholic Church as one of the points uh, uh, for for sainthood for this individual. And so, because there is an inbuilt motivation to to have and, and promote and accept miracles, and, and so I would probably suggest that uh, Christianity probably has uh, something similar. Uh, and um, and so, I'm not at all surprised that there are more claims associated uh, with with Christianity. Uh, I'm I'm more interested in in the veracity uh, of those claims. And um, switching back on that to something that the Robert mentioned in his opening bit about um, uh, Bart Ehrman and uh, the, the guys from from Hinge. And um, firstly, the, the the point of Bart in about what what he says uh, about I, I can't remember what it was. was it the disciples and their experiences. And um, uh, I think uh, your understanding, Robert, is slightly different to mine. I, I don't know which one of us is more accurate. Uh, um, but I, my understanding is that when, when Bart is talking about uh, that kind of thing, he's talking about this is what the text says. So there's no question. The text says that disciples had these experiences. And I don't think uh, Bart is asserting that the disciples definitely had these experiences. I think what he's asserting is the text says that disciples had these experiences. So there's a distinction I'd, I'd just like to throw in, in there. Um, but in terms of the, the healing case on the Hinge podcast, um, I thought you were going to talk about the doctor who went into a coma and nearly died. Uh, uh, I think the Australian doctor who's also been on Unbelievable. I have a very vague recollection of the... Yes, the I remember that. Yeah, I have a very vague uh, recollection of the, that, that chap under the car accident and, um, and trying to look for... Uh, examples of um, x-rays that would show before and after of the intestine growing um, but it, w it was a while ago and uh, my memory is a bit vague uh, so I can't even remember if I did that search but it certainly is something that's gone through my mind so I can't remember being convinced uh, about that at all but I do know that Corey the, the atheist on that wasn't convinced by the other story the doctor story who had the coma and etc because that's quite a dramatic story and hearing him talk about his experience again on uh, the unbelievable show so it's, it's a very dr dramatic story and looking at the forums and interacting on the forums on that story specifically uh, you know lots and lots of christians very very convinced uh, by by that story um but Corey, who was the atheist on that podcast whose quote that you you read out david he wasn't convinced uh, by that story being a being a genuine uh, miracle and i'm i like Corey, wasn't convinced that it was a, a genuine miracle either i guess at my main um concern is like you bring up the uh the, the the weak examples of mother mother Teresa and maybe a, a bias towards confirming these miracles in the catholic church but to me that does nothing to just to really grapple with barbara snyder with ms bruce venata with his small intestine uh Dwayne miller who was examined by 63 physicians 
like this goes way far and beyond those weaker examples. So that that's fair, and I, I think I'm, I'm mentioning those because those are the ones I've, I've I've got best of my my knowledge and the specific stronger examples that you're talking about. So I I don't have. Uh, enough knowledge about them. What I, what I do know about MS, and, I, and I've seen this mentioned by, by doctors before, is MS is a disease where people uh, can go into spontaneous remission from, from MS, and there are cases where that has, has happened. So, um, But the MS case that you're particularly mentioning, it was MS plus, if I'll be forgiven for using that phrase, because it wasn't, uh, you know, she was in a, in a very critical condition. I, I just don't know enough about that case, and I'm not medically trained, so I don't feel specifically qualified to talk about that. But um, going back to MS specifically, it, it is a disease that not a huge amount is is known about. It's a, there are a couple of types of MS, if I remember correctly, uh, and it is known that under certain circumstances, people can appear to to um, spontaneously recover from it or I think the phrase is used is they're going to remission and they appear to all intents and purposes uh, recovered but the disease is still lingering there in their body and it, it might come back but that's something that's been known about MS for some time what we don't know is the full mechanism by which this happens. I, I still think spontaneous might be a misnomer there which I would have to review you know case studies on MS as well. Yeah, it's possible that the medical definition of spontaneous wouldn't be the same as the layman's definition of spontaneous. I I mean, as far as like her uh, immediate health returning to 100%, like, 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 sure, um, it it remits so that she starts getting better if it was spontaneous. I I don't want to quibble about that, but um, the known cases... Sorry, go I, I seriously doubt the known cases are anything compared to this, and but I'm open to it. And but no skeptic, skeptic um, responding to Lee Strobel has brought up these cases. I guess this is where the heuristic comes in. Is like for instance, I brought this the Barbara Schneider case up on a message board, uh, and a skeptic immediately said, "Oh, I think it's a hoax." And I said, "Wait, do you think the two doctors that wrote about her in books also?" But what about that? And they were like, oh, I think they're in on the hoax. But to me, that is a completely gratuitous, ultimately circular reasoning, because the reason why they think it's a hoax is because of the type of claim. But the reason why they don't believe in those claims is because they they say that they've never been shown to happen before. But the reason why it hasn't been shown to happen before is because they don't believe in it. So it becomes a circular thing where you need an independent reason to think it's a hoax. You need to say oh, these are shady doctors that have a history of whatnot. Uh, but there, and why haven't skeptics refuted these examples? Like, these are multiple examples that no skeptic has brought up how, you know, Dwayne Miller, it's all made up, you know? Like, that, that's what starts to get me here. That it, it seems like prima facie, this is evidence for Christianity. Do you mind if I sort of interject as one interesting topic that I, I might want to get both of your guys' take on? I, I remember being impressed with Keener's book where he talks about lords because this is a Catholic yes. site yes. and and they have rigorous, rigorous standards from, from non-Christian doctors, internationally renowned. I mean, Protestants are, are coming on board and saying, I, I think there's something here. So yeah, maybe you guys can go back and forth on... on you know, uh, healing sites like Lords. Is there anything there that you guys think, or you know, maybe go back and forth a bit on that? I 
I'm familiar with Lords uh, over in France. Even as a Christian, I was never convinced by uh, some of the claims there. It might be a feature of the fundamentalist, uh, um, potentially anti-Catholic uh, mindset that I had uh, as a as a Christian in those days. But yeah, Lords never really uh, convinced me, even as a Christian. Okay. What about you, Robert? What do you? I think it was very impressive. Now, I mean, in any of these examples, there's going to be, there are going to be some hoaxes, some weak examples, some, you know, throwaway ones, but that doesn't discount the ones that are not like that. And Lords was very impressive to me, uh, partly because it's, uh, this evidence exists over like a hundred year period too. So it's, um, it has quite a history. And like you said, uh, there's a lot of healings they have actually excluded from officially recognizing for these strange technicalities when um, they were actually pretty impressive. So they, they have pretty rigorous standards. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, th- just throwing it back to, to Matthew, is I feel like I have, through these citations, uh, pretty substantial data. And I guess my question is, like, isn't the burden of proof, <laughs> the friendly burden of proof on, <laughs> on the skeptic to then deal with that? To like, like my example with UFOs, if someone brought this sort of data to me about UFOs, I wouldn't be dismissive of it. I would say, wow, 100 million people worldwide claim to be abducted. Um, that OK, that's a lot more than I thought. Um, I got to have some sort of explanation. We all need explanations for the data that's out there. So here's the data. To me, the prima facie answer is um, is God, is is that it, or it fits with the Christian worldview. What is your explanation for this data? Or can you can you agree that it's uh, on on you to to either look into it more to debunk it or to say, okay, this is one point to the Christians tentatively. You know, because on the surface, at least, it is for them. Um, well, I mean, we talked to, I think you mentioned Barbara Snyder and also the the Mozambique uh, thing when we were chatting on Twitter be, be, uh, the other week before, before we came to this. So I've looked a little bit on those and you've, you're a step ahead of me because you've purchased books and read the books which reference those cases. The information that I was able to find about those cases online uh, wasn't sufficient for me to to be convinced by them because the the accounts that I read read as third-hand uh, accounts no like as for example they read like they were somebody telling the story of somebody's story rather than a, a direct interview of the, the people involved well um, with like, oh, actually, Barbara, sorry, that's not true. I, did, yeah. I, I did read a, a book extract of a, a um, uh, of a journalist who was interviewing directly, is it Heidi, the lady from Mozambique? Heidi Baker, yes. Um, yeah, so I, I did read an extract of, an, of a journalist who was directly interviewing her, and there was there was lots of claims of this happened and then that happened, and it's all well and good having claims, but I need more than just the claims of this is what happened. I need uh, the the data behind the claims to corroborate the claims. So. In the little that I've read about those particular cases, it's not enough for me to be be convinced. Well, obviously something happened, uh, 
but it's not enough for me to convince that it's it's something that is explained beyond something natural because there just wasn't enough information in the in what I was able to read uh, in the last couple of weeks no. uh, about those specific cases. So no. I don't have enough information to 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 accept that there's something there that that needs more investigation. Matt, do you, um, sorry, sorry to barge in, Robert, but do you mind if I just ask, just theoretically, so so with the Lord's example, um, here are their four, I, I laid out in my 21-page blog, there are four criteria for them to qualify. So this is why they've only accepted 70 miracles out of the, the literally thousands that they've gotten. I think 4,500 or, or cases have been reported. So, so number one, there has to be full medical documentation of one's prior condition. Uh, that has to be provided to the, the medical uh, bureau. So they're the ones that are made up of a bunch of doctors, uh, both Catholic, non-Catholics, and that sort of thing. Um, there has to be contact with multiple eyewitnesses to confirm and collaborate the prior medical condition, um, as well as details about the person's character. Thirdly, the cure has to be certified to be organic. Um, so that there, there was um, no medicine or medical technology that could potentially provide a natural cure for the prior condition um, was used, um, and that the, the healing itself has to be deemed medically inexplicable by these medical professionals on the Bureau. And then finally, four, the cure must endure or persist over time, and they follow up to make sure years afterwards to, to make sure the cure has, in fact, persisted. So. In principle, um, do you think, do you agree with these? If we had something that fits these criteria and it's not a, a scam or something like that, they really fit it, would that be something that you would consider? Yeah, that seems like a very reasonable uh, set, set of criteria. Yeah, I'm, I might possibly want to have some kind of, uh, see something about some kind of uh, consultation with the, the original doctor or or something like that if they're prepared to be involved in that confirmation process uh, but you know as it stands that seems like an eminently reasonable uh, set of criteria gotcha yeah and, and to me this is ahead. where if you don't mind uh be jumping in real sure. quick uh yeah. this is where the full force of the heuristic comes into play i think skeptics need to be really challenged on what their alternative uh viewpoint implies so if those are the criteria lords has so and uh, matthew was just saying if you know that's for real then i you know i agree with that so if it's not for real then are we saying these people are lying or they're greatly exaggerating and okay let's say we accept that but then are barbara snyder's doctors also lying and then craig keener who is a respected scholar is he lying like you end up if you really play it through to me there are too many hoaxes too many lies to be um, est est epistemologically um, valid. Yeah, I'm not going to throw out the oh, it's clearly a hoax or somebody's lying to make money card. I'm, it's, it's very likely that, that that there is somebody who's, who's pulled a stunt like that to, to make money. I mean, people are greedy. Someone's going to someone's going to do that eventually. Um, but that's not something that I. That's not an accusation I'm going to throughout and certainly not an accusation I'm going to give about something that I've just admitted that I don't have enough information about. So, so do you think these events are happening, even if you're not sure how to explain them? At least I don't some. know, because it's, it's possible for the event 
not to have happened and it not to be a hoax. I mean, people can be genuinely convinced that, that something's a miracle and, and just be... I'm not um, talking about the explanation. Mi- mi- I'm talking mis- about it happening. I'm talking Let- about the condition, organic condition, you know, immediately remitting, like uh, blindness. Um, and I- I'm talking about it, it happening. So do you think these things are actually happening? Okay, let's let Matt At least some. I... I, I'm going to again say I don't know because I just don't have the information. But I think the alternative implies something. I, I don't think it's a null hypothesis. I think the alternative is you, you need an explanation of where these stories come from then. So the alternative explanation is either hoax, great exa- – well, some of these go so, so far beyond exaggeration that they would have to be a lie um, if, if they didn't happen. So what is that alternative explanation of where this data comes from? I'm going to again say I don't know, and I'll, I'm going yeah, to give you an yeah. example okay. to to demonstrate that. And this is a very s- specific and very recent example. Um, one of the other podcasts that, that Premier do, uh, people behind uh, Unbelievable, is they also do a podcast called The Profile, where they interview a, a high-profile Christian and get information about them. And a couple of episodes back, so we're talking October, November last year, I think, uh, they... Um, featured somebody from the States, I think a singer or a church leader or, or someone like that. And right in the very opening segment of, uh, of this, uh, this piece, they, they featured him talking about a family of people from his congregation being healed from a brain-eating amoeba. And I thought, okay, this sounds really significant. This sounds really serious. So I made, made a note of the person's name and went and, and searched it up. And well, first of all, I went and did a search for brain-eating amoeba just to try to find out uh, a, a bit about what it is that was being described. And it, it's it's a colloquial term for, for something else which is in the water in some places in America. And there are circumstances where uh, if water gets forced up your nose in a, in a specific in a specific way, this um, microbe can get get in, into your blood and into your brain, and they call it a brain-eating amoeba, and it's almost certain death. It, it's I think of in, in the, like the last 30 or 40 years, uh, less than 200 people in America have been found have, have contracted it. So it's rare, um, but of those less than 200 people, about four have survived. So it's it's very rare, but you really don't want it. Uh, because it's even more rare that you'll uh, survive it. So th- this clip from this, this family of church, it was a number almost equal to the number that have survived uh, this case. Um, so I thought, okay, well, this ought to stand out. This is a big anomaly. This should stand out. So I started Googling the person's name and uh, the people recovering. And I found several reports, all on Christian sites, uh, of, of this re- recovery. Um, I struggled to find... Uh, where, uh, which which city? I, th- I, I think there was some information I struggled to find. I think it was a city, um, but um, I, I I did find across several Christian websites this story, pretty much the same text throughout each story, um, of telling about this amazing survival of all of all the members of this family uh, from this specific thing. But I couldn't find where the hospital was, um, and I couldn't find any medical or newspaper um, reports that corroborated it. It was all exclusively on on, on Christian on, online sites. Like, 
genuinely couldn't find anything elsewhere. So I don't believe that that's what they had and, and that's what happened uh, because uh, because of what I've just outlined. So your uh, your question is obviously, well, what is my explanation? I don't know is, is my honest answer. I, I don't know what the true explanation is. I don't know what they had. I don't know if they were in hospital. I don't know what their motivation is. It could be that they genuinely misunderstood what was going on and think that that's what they had um, and are, are telling that story because that's what they believe or there could be something more nefarious but I genuinely don't have enough information to be able to make a judgment on their motives for telling this story all I know is I don't believe that the story is true so uh, I don't I'll know why to... sure so I'll, I'll use this to wrap up yeah. on my side uh, oh, Gail, okay. I know we're hitting time so um, my response to that and I, of course, appreciate the the humble epistemology of saying, I don't know, I don't want to ever dismiss a, uh, a humble epistemology by any means. But my response to that is the I don't know can kind of mean one of two things. It can either mean you're using that example of like the story that didn't pan out um, and you're applying that to this wide swath of data. And if that's so, I don't think you're really coming to terms with what that actually means because that means Craig Keener has to either be a lying academic or severely deceived and all these other people because they don't really apply to someone like Barbara where you couldn't have misunderstood you had multiple sclerosis for instance so I think the full implications of applying that pattern to all of these would make too many people deceived or liars and if, if you're not doing that and if you're bringing it in even further and just saying, no, I truly don't know, I don't want to even apply that, then I think there's a gap in the skeptical worldview where these things maybe are happening and it's prima facie evidence for Christianity. So I will I will leave it there. Um, point taken. Um, and certainly for me specifically as an individual and the cases that, that Craig Keener would bring up in his book and the MS case that you've done, it is also that I genuinely don't have enough information about about those cases. I outlined, outlined earlier that what I tried to read about them didn't give me enough information to to go. Okay, yeah, I can I can accept that there's something strange here, even if I'm not prepared yet to to go miracle. So I I I me as an individual, I definitely need more technical information in order to be able to make the step on any of those cases. Uh, to miracle, whether or not somebody else has that information um, and ha- access to that information is completely another que- uh, another question. So I'm not saying that my lack of information means they also don't have that information. So okay, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm I'm accepting that somebody else might have that information. I just haven't been able to to find the information to get me as an individual uh, over that line. Um, in terms of that being prima facie evidence for Christianity, I, I want to push back on that because again me as an individual I haven't been able to find it and if um, and it could be because I'm not well read enough or it could mean I don't have the right scientific knowledge I mean there, there could be multiple reasons for me just not having the right information um, but just because I don't have access to the information to do it or to put it another way Christianity hasn't been able to provide me with the information in order to get me over the line that isn't um, that isn't a side door into um, 
confirming Christianity. It just means Christianity hasn't been able to provide me uh, with that information. So I want to push back a little bit on that, your, your ending point on mm -hmm. uh, the inability to re-explain means that Christianity must be true, because that, that falls back to the, some of the things we made right at the very beginning of this. So I want to push back a bit on that. And just to be clear, I'm not saying it means Christianity is true. I'm just saying it's one point on the Christian side, and you would have to take in a lot of other stuff to to, to build a cumulative case. But, okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. Fair yeah. enough. Cool. All right. Yeah. Well, that was a, a great discussion. Um, I hope both of you guys enjoyed enjoyed it on your end. Do, do you feel that you got to say everything that you wanted to say on the topics that were important to both of you? Yeah. Yeah. I um I I love this discussion, guys. Um, I feel like we moved along quite quickly. I'm not sure we got really stuck anywhere, which is quite remarkable given the topic and the device, di uh, diverse viewpoints here. So uh, I'm going to just give a round of applause to us because it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. not easy to do that when you've heard a lot of these debates before. So thanks guys so much for being a part of this. And uh, this was really fun to me. Awesome. Yeah. I'll, I'll echo that. It's, it's been a pleasure that it's been... Um, been of the manner as it that it has been it's it makes me feel so much better than than other conversations that i've been involved in so thank you both uh, for that um I, in terms of how i feel about what's been said I, i've said what i can uh, on on the conversation you know i'm i feel that robert and i could probably talk through these things for for quite a bit longer mm -hmm. my, my only frustration is i don't have enough technical knowledge to be able to address specifics that Robert would probably like me to to address. Um, I if I, if I you know, so trying to meet that might be a challenge, but um, that that would be my only frustration. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was again. It's not gonna because you don't have the technical knowledge. But I I have one case that I think is really good, and there's actually a peer-reviewed journal article on it. Um, so I could maybe send that to you in addition to maybe you checking out some of Robert's specific examples and just seeing what you could find. I'd, I'd be interested in your your take on it. But but obviously that's, you know, don't just judge based on that. That's antithetical to Robert's main point that you got to have this holistic perspective. But yeah, may, maybe um, check out a few trees and see what you make of those at least. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Cool. So yeah, so thank you. Thank you so much to you guys. I've really enjoyed this conversation. I, I think we've put out some substantive points for for people to consider on both sides and um yeah just just so the audience knows what i've got coming up uh next week is my old skeptical partner david johnson is coming back and joining me and we're going to be discussing um with robert stanley from the right to reason podcast and he's picked out the topic is the bible true uh, as well as uh, some discussion on religion and politics. Um, so, yeah, that, look out for that next week. And, uh, yeah, have a great week, everyone. All right, bye-bye. Thank you. Have a good one.